Hello, and welcome to the Vacation Impossible podcast for Saturday, August 10th. And I am on day 16 of a 17-day road trip. So, uh, a lot's been going on. Uh, we're we're probably going to be talking about this trip for years, honestly. Uh, we've seen and done so much. It's been so amazing in so many different ways. Uh, so, we started off from Vancouver, driving south, and stayed in Bothell at an extended stay, which wasn't great. It was okay. I did a hot wire thing. Um, and so, if you don't know the hot wire trick, is when you're going to book, you want to have two browser windows open, preferably different browsers. So, like one Firefox, one Edge, Internet Explorer, or Chrome, whatever you use, uh, and have one on Hotwire and the other one on a place called BetterBidding.com. And you can use the amenities that appear on Hotwire to figure out using Better Bidding, which is like a message board that shows you which hotels have uh, been uh, purchased or booked with those certain amenities in certain regions. So, you know, when you narrow it down to Bothell and, okay, maybe it's got laundry facilities but, a, but no pool or something like that, then you can kind of narrow it down. And so normally it takes a lot of the guesswork out of Hotwire so that you can probably have it narrowed down to like one to three hotels instead of it being any hotel. Um, and then you can go on something like Expedia or the actual chain's website and see what that price is to see if you're getting a legitimately good deal. And in the case of the Bothell extended stay, we did get a good deal. We did save, I think, at least $30 American on top of what we would have paid any other way of booking. So that was fine. Um, however, with Hotwire, it guarantees you that it sleeps two people, but not the nature of the accommodations. And so in our case, when John and I arrived, it was only a single bed. So there was a sofa bed that you had to pull out. And that was kind of interesting because when we were checking in, we asked, oh, are there two beds? They said, no, but there's a sofa bed. Okay, fine. We pull out the sofa bed and we look everywhere. There's no linens of any kind for the bed. No, you know, no sheet, no comforter, whatever. No pillow. Uh, so we went uh, and called down to the front desk and said, oh, how do we get those? And said, oh, you have to come down and get them. And so it's, it's an extended stay. Uh, the, the intent behind extended stays are often that it's somebody who might be traveling for work. Maybe they're working on a work site for two, three weeks, months, whatever. Um, not long enough to rent an apartment, but you know, long enough that it's more than like a, a hotel day-to-day -day sort of thing. And so it has like a kitchenette and stuff like that for people who are kind of, it's kind of like for lived in situations rather than a hotel that you're at for one, two, five nights, whatever. So uh, anyways, we were only there for one night, uh, but we're not the usual clientele for what its purpose is. Uh, and so they said, you know, yeah, you have to come down and, and get the linens. And that was fine. I threw on some shoes and I went down to get it. But it occurred to me that we, when we were checking in, speaking to the person at the front desk, who was absolutely lovely, high energy, really positive. She was great. Um, but we asked about the, the sofa bed. She told us about it. That would have been a great opportunity for her to say, and here's some linens for you to save us the extra trip and the phone call. Uh, it would have been easier for her and easier for us probably. Um, but other than that, the, it was fine. Um, it had a kitchenette that had no like dishware at all, which is kind of funny. Uh, I've stated extended stays where there'll be pots and pans and bowls and, you know, uh, uh, cutlery and things like that. But this actually didn't have any. And it didn't matter for us, uh, but I just found it kind of interesting. John was really happy with the extended stay in Bothell because it had an ice maker in the freezer. Now, we're not talking like an ice tray. This thing actually made ice, which was cool, but John turned it on and left it on overnight. So there were a couple times where I woke up because there's the sound of like the ice spilling out. Uh, and, that, and that woke me once or twice, even with my earplugs in. Uh, so that was okay, though. That was how we got off the, the, the start of the trip, which was fine. Uh, I went to an Ivar's for the first time ever. This was the sort of the fast food version of the Ivar's, not the fancier restaurant. Um, but I actually liked it quite a bit. Their Caesar salad is solid. 
So um, Sam <laughs> has been trying to convince me to try Ivars for years. Uh, John actually got the job done <laughs> just because it's what he really wanted to do and was in the area um, and, and all that sort of thing. And, and he's not a fan of Red Lobster. Um, so uh, that was sort of his thing. Uh, I also really like Taco Bell, but he doesn't like having Taco Bell on road trips. And given some of the effects that Taco Bell can have on the person, um, I can appreciate that, where he's coming from. So uh, because those two were ruled out, and those are mainstays of mine in Washington State, decided to try something new. Very glad I did. It was quite good. Um, and so there was that. Then we moved on to uh, driving to Missoula. Missoula was pretty cool in the sense that we stayed at a Motel 6. And it's the first time we've stayed at a Motel 6 in a very long time. When we first started out taking road trips... 18 years ago, <laughs> hot damn, it's been a while, it's been a minute, <laughs> uh, when we started doing these road trips 18 years ago, um, we started off staying at cheap places, Motel 6, whatever, and back then we were kind of doe-eyed and hadn't traveled much, and so like we were very easily impressed, and there was, there was some intentionality behind that, because I knew if we started off staying at Hyatt's and Hilton's and things like that, you know, Crown Plaza's, what have you, um, then we're just going to kind of jump to the end. And I, I believe that I'm, I call myself an incrementalist, which means that I like to enjoy the different steps in the journey and the different stages. And so, you know, if you jump straight to the Hyatt of the Hilton, and then for some reason you end up needing to stay at a travel lodge or an Econo Lodge or a Motel 6 or whatever, some of those more budget brands, um, you're probably going to be a little off put. So we started off staying at things like Motel 6s and travel lodges and Econo Lodges and a Super 8 and things like that. And I remember the first time we stayed, the first Motel 6, we, or the whole, first hotel I ever booked myself and stayed at, uh, sort of as an independent traveling adult, was the Motel 6 in Seattle South on Military Road. And I remember when John and I checked in, we were so excited because there was free soap. And we just, we, 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 we were neophytes to travel. That's part of why we created Vacation Impossible. Um, it was because we were kind of getting over our ignorance of travel and geography and things of that nature. And we want to share it with other people and show them that it's not scary. That's a big part of why we're here. If we can encourage you to travel uh, or try something new that you haven't before, that at the end of the day is worth all of this effort for us. Uh, that's why you know, I'm sitting here in this hotel room in Edmonton right now, talking into my camera and my microphone. And I got all this stuff set up when I could be, I don't know, go, I, I could be at the water park at, at, at West Edmonton Mall right now, but I'm here with you fine people and I appreciate y'all here, uh, either watching on YouTube or listening to the audio podcast. Um, that's sort of a big part of why we do it because that's, that's fulfillment for us. That's why we're here. We enjoy that. And, um, yeah, so when we went to this Motel 6 in Missoula, it was, um, even when I was booking it online, you know, I checked TripAdvisor beforehand, and as I mentioned before on the podcast and in a tip video on YouTube, you want to check TripAdvisor's traveler photos before booking a hotel, because if there are insects, dirt, whatever, that's where you'll really see it. Now, people might have an axe to grind because of some perceived slight at a hotel, and so they can write whatever they want, but the pictures... They're harder to fake, and I don't think you know. I don't think you have to be like seriously with a vendetta to fake pictures. So the traveler pictures on TripAdvisor is what I really use as a determinant of a place I've never been before, especially if it's like a brand that I haven't used in a while. Like with Hilton, I just trust it. It's it's generally fine. Um, but if I'm going off brand from Hilton, I'll want to do a little research, and so I did. And this looked kind of like a cross between a Motel Six and a boutique hotel. So it, it, the pictures made it look like the nicest Motel Six I've ever seen. And when we stayed there, it kind of matched the pictures. So you know. 
the the linens on the bed weren't super impressive the tv was small but okay it worked um but the but the bathroom layout was really quite artistic and nice it was it was simple but it was original like they had these sort of uh rondel hole things that they put the the towels into they created a very nice effect it was actually a really efficient use of space so um yeah the missoula motel 6 was actually really great i would recommend it i would stay there again plenty of parking um the wi-fi was a little patchy uh i wasn't able to like listen to spotify because it would drop off but I, it was good enough to send emails and do a little facebooking um and some messenger stuff where like it'll queue and then send when it's connected but if it's something that required a constant connection uh streaming service either for audio or video youtube spotify that kind of thing wasn't quite up to that task, but I remember 18 years ago staying at Motel 6s and, and over the years since then that they traditionally would charge 3 or $4 for their Wi-Fi, but now it's included, which is good. That's a little bit more common. So um, uh, that's, you know, given that you're staying at a Motel 6 and it's free Wi-Fi, the quality of the Wi-Fi, I wasn't exactly upset about. Someone wanted me to listen to, uh, <laughs> uh, what was it? I think... Um, it was some song. I think it might have been the, the new Tool song that had just come out or something. Uh, and so I had to wait until the next night when we were at a double tree in Deadwood to be able to listen to it on Spotify. So uh, that's fine. Uh, and I, I, would, I would go back. I would go back. I would just have appropriate expectations for the Wi-Fi at the Motel 6 in Missoula, <laughs> which is a good midpoint between there and Deadwood. So for the second day, we went to Deadwood. Along the way to Deadwood, we stopped at the geographical center of the nation. Now, I want to be clear that this is all 50 states because there are two geographical centers of the nation. There's another one that is the contiguous 48, or lower 48, as they're sometimes known. It's pre-1959, because that's when Alaska and Hawaii became states. Uh, and that we went to later in the trip. But this first one was the whole 50 states, which is just north of Deadwood in South Dakota. So we get there, and there's some free Wi-Fi, and there's flags, and there's this marker and stuff, and it's quite nice. So we did a live stream. The live stream was, a, the Wi-Fi wasn't great, and so if you do watch that live stream on the YouTube channel, that's youtube.com slash vacationimpossible, um, do check it out. It gives you a good idea of what it looks like and what's there, but the video does kind of sputter and, and jump a little bit. Little parts got dropped off, like we were interacting with people in chat, and all of those parts, for whatever reason, through the Wi-Fi didn't, didn't get broadcast. Um, but that was still nice. So, uh, you know, we did that, and then we uh, we got into Deadwood, and Deadwood is a very unusual place. Deadwood is very different from, like, anywhere I've been in my life. Um, it's kind of like a mini Vegas, but it's also like a biker town, but it's also like an old-timey, you know, uh, I haven't done a lot of, like, um, old-timey sorts of... Um, uh, 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 gold rush towns, I guess. Ghost towns might be the term. I haven't really done many of those. I think the closest was probably in Alaska. Um, Skagway was somewhat like that. But this was a little bit more authentic because Skagway was like, it was like modern construction in the style of the gold rush, at least is what it felt like. Still a small town. Uh, but Deadwood... It, it, it definitely has like older buildings and it, and it sort of aged in place and things like that. So that's kind of cool. Um, and so we, we did spend a little bit of time at the Doubletree, which is attacked, uh, attached to Cadillac Jacks, which is sort of the gambling sort of resort. It's a linkage of several hotels and, and restaurants and sort of, uh, you know, gambling that they've got there. Uh, so that was kind of interesting. And it's like a little mini Vegas. It's like stepping into a small version of Vegas. Uh, and I like Vegas, but I don't go for the gambling. I go for sort of the other things. And it doesn't seem to have a lot of those other things, uh, you know, like the Blue Man Group show or Wayne Brady or whatever, you know, the things we've done in Vegas, James Darren, stuff like that. Uh, it didn't really seem to have the show aspect of it, uh, but it did have sort of the, 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 the relatively cheap stakes <laughs> and uh, that. In fact, when we were in Missoula, 
we went to a Montana, I want to say grill. I'm not sure if that's the right name. I don't think it is. Um, but anyways, it was a really nice restaurant and I had, I had a wonderful meal, uh, but John's steak wasn't great. So using the power of editing, I'm now going to cut to John and I discussing Montana club. That's what it's called. The Montana club that we went to in Missoula. Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to cut to that right now. And, uh, the audio might not be as good because we recorded that just with the camera, not with our uh, microphone. So bear with us. Uh, and I'll be right back after that. Okay, so we just got back to the glamorous Motel 6 Missoula, which is actually the nicest Motel 6 I think I've ever stayed in. Uh, it's also the nicest hotel we've been on this trip so far. Well, it's the second hotel we've been on this trip so far, so... Still the nicest of the two. Yeah, the, the extended stay America in Bothell? Mm, not great. Lovely people, not great facilities. But uh, anyways, we just got back from Montana Club here in Missoula, Montana. Yeah. And uh, what did you think of the restaurant? Uh, you know what? On a scale of five, I give the whole restaurant experience as a whole a four. My personal meal, I would give a two. Um, and there's a number of factors that went into that. Uh, but let's go with Ray's meal because his was much better than mine. I got the prime rib Caesar wrap. Uh, with a uh, side garden salad that had Italian dressing on it, and it was fantastic. I absolutely loved it. Um, I've got absolutely no complaints. It was uh, it was super tasty, uh, and I think hopefully relatively healthy a choice as well. And it was just under seventeen dollars, so rel you know for what I got, I think it was a fair price. Mm -hmm. Now, what I got was the uh, uh, was it the uh, filet mignon with the uh, bourbon no uh, brandy peppercorn sauce. Uh, they didn't even ask me how I wanted my steak done. Uh, I like it medium. It came a little undercooked. It was... Well, it came rare. It came rare. Yeah. It came so rare. So undercooked for your taste. Undercooked for my taste. I like rare. And I don't know. I thought it was nice. I like rare too, but I wanted medium, and I wasn't asked, and I figured usually the restaurant standard is medium, so... It's middle of the road. It's, it's literally middle of the road. <laughs> I was hoping that's what they would do. They didn't. Uh, I also ordered it with a baked potato and a, and a salad. I got the salad. The salad was great. The yeah. salad was fine. Salad right? was I had basically the, the same, same salad. salad. Um, but then they came and told me, nope, they're out of baked potatoes. I'm thinking, okay, it's, what was it, like 6 o'clock? Yeah. Uh, you know, 6.30. 6.30. And a steakhouse is out of baked potatoes 100 miles from Idaho. <laughs> Just drive down the road. <laughs> Go so, get some potatoes. Get some taters. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, well, I'll just take the steamed vegetables because uh, that sounded like the better option between that and the, uh, what was the other vegetables? It grilled. Was, yeah, it was grilled in the end. Then there was mashed potatoes. And I'm like, well. And the grilled was going to come with peppers as well, I think. Yeah, it was. And uh, oh, peppers and onions too. And I'm like, yeah. don't yeah. want that. I like peppers, don't like onions. Yeah. So uh, the steak itself was, like I said, undercooked. Uh, the sauce was okay. Uh, the sauce was decent. Uh, but it's a peppercorn sauce, and there's peppercorns all over it. And another problem I had is the peppercorns were mushy. Usually when you have a peppercorn sauce, the pepper, when you bite into it, it has a crunch and a, and a pop of pepper in your mouth. Okay. That was not the experience that I had from this peppercorn sauce. Uh, the steamed vegetables were, they steamed the moisture right out of them. Uh, they were dry. Did they steam the flavor right out of them? They steamed the flavor right in. Well, I mean, you got to assume that when you steam something, it's going to lose a little bit of flavor. Some. That's the nature of steaming. Yes. But these were, I'm, I'm not going to say, they may, you know what, I'm going to say it. They were oversteamed. Uh, and they lacked any kind of seasoning whatsoever. Incredibly bland. Uh, one of them, you could tell, fell onto the grill because it had scorch marks on it. Ray had that one. Oh God, yeah, it was so dry. It was horrific. I, right? I have nothing but regret for asking for that one piece of broccoli he didn't want. Uh, yeah, and for $33, I thought I would get a much better meal. So yeah. that's what I'm saying, my meal was a two, 
But the restaurant as a whole was great. The uh, the setting, the ambiance, the way they built the place. Oh, it's lovely. Yes. You know, our, our waiter was nice. Our waiter was half decent. Um, the, the, the host staff the was host very staff nice. Was great. They've got a thing where um, you give them your phone number and they text you to let you know when your table is ready. Yeah, which uh, kind of neat. So, I mean, it's like, it's like, you know, the pagers that some places use, but without having to carry something. It's just your phone. It's fantastic. Yeah. And even when you travel, uh, most cellular providers, at least in Canada, I think all of them, it's always free to receive a text. So it didn't cost us a thing to take advantage of that service, which was As nice. it should be, it should always be free to receive text. Yeah. Anybody charges you for receiving a text? Kick him in the face. <laughs> Slap him right across the face. Vacation Impossible does not advocate violence. So, uh, you also had a problem with your pepper shaker as well. Yeah. <laughs> the, there was, uh, usually when you go to a steakhouse, they, you know, come across with a big pepper mill, uh, and they're like, yo, fresh ground pepper? And usually I'm like, yeah, put some on there. They didn't do that here. They had a pepper uh, grinder on the table. Small one, one about yeah. this big. Uh, size of a pepper. Size uh, of, uh, sorry, size is a salt, salt shaker. shaker. Yeah. yeah. Um, and usually the little knob on the top, and I don't know how many of you know this, on a pepper grinder, the knob on the top can actually adjust the size of the pepper that comes out of the bottom. So you loosen it up and you get large, larger chunks of pepper. You tighten it down and you get very fine grain. Uh, so I tried, you know, loosening it up and everything like that and check the bottom of it. No change. It's just a, a, a screw on for the cap. That was it. And the pepper comes out pretty fine, which, you know, adds a bit of pepper flavor, but not that pepper, strong pepper pop that I was looking for. One thing I will say about your steak, though, is for a fillet, you often get a very small one. Yours was a substantial size. It was, but it also wasn't as thick as a usual fillet. That's true. A usual fillet is like thick. Thick. Uh, this one was thinner and more spread out. It was almost like, like it had been pounded. Mm. You know, like it had been malleted to really? uh, tenderized. Tenderized, yeah. Mm. Uh, which is kind of how it felt. Which so, uh, if you go there, don't get the steak. Get the wrap. It's fantastic. I had a I bite of it. it. It was delicious. I would give my meal four, maybe four and a half out of five. Like, right. my meal was solid. Yeah. Good value, very tasty. I couldn't have thought of a way to make it better. And this is why I give the restaurant as a whole a four. Yeah. You know, I'm not saying don't go there. I'm saying go there and be careful with what you order. Yeah, and so they, we went to the Missoula location, but they do have about a half dozen locations, including uh, Great Falls, Montana, mm -hmm. and uh, some other places. So uh, I think it's worth checking out, but order carefully is, I think, our advice. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Good points both. John and I, I think, covered that topic fairly well. So there's a little restaurant review for you. And so as you saw, uh, or heard, as the case may be if you're listening to the audio version of this, uh, John's uh, steak wasn't exactly what he hoped for, wasn't quite up to snuff. So then the next night when we're in Deadwood, we go to this restaurant where the steak was half that price uh, and it was much better. Uh, so the accoutrements that went with it, like the baked potato and things, weren't very good. But the steak itself, it's like a $15 steak, but it was it was filet mignon, and it was good. So, um, you know, it's 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 got that aspect of sort of the Vegas, like, cheap but good food options that's there, which is, which is nice. So I would probably stay there again if I was passing through somewhere, but I wouldn't make my, I wouldn't make Deadwood my destination. Uh, and so then after that, we got to see Mount Rushmore, which was amazing. Now, Mount Rushmore is a place where I would make that my destination. I would consider going to Mount Rushmore for four or five days, maybe even a solid week, because what we saw when we were getting to it is it's, there's so much more in the surrounding area than just the mountain. And with the faces, you know, carved into it, um, they had like go-karts and zip lines and all these other different things that sounded really good. And so there's a cool little resort town that seems to be built around it and a lot of things to do. Uh, you're going to want to probably drive because I don't think any of them it's not super walkable um, but Mount Rushmore I would absolutely do again 
uh, as much for the surrounding area as for the actual monument itself. When we got to Mount Rushmore, they were building sort of a new lookout. So we could only see it over this fence line. So it kind of lacked a sense of that grandeur and a professional sort of tourist spot, but it was still amazing to see. The grandeur of the, the faces is absolutely there. Um, but it was a little chaotic. There was a lot of people around, but there was Wi-Fi, but it was super weak and patchy. So we had hoped to do a live stream from uh, Mount Rushmore, but uh, it wasn't technically feasible. The connection wasn't good enough to even attempt it. Uh, the gift shop was quite nice. I got some lip balm. It's <laughs> a medicated lip balm at Mount Rushmore. I got Mount Rushmore lip balm, which, you know, like chapstick. And we've been using that this whole trip because, um, you know, when you're out in the elements, you know, people often remember things like uh, sunblock, wear a hat, sunglasses. We've given those tips in various videos and podcasts before. Um, but also the lips, they, they do get exposed to the ultraviolet rays. They do dry out. And so the medicated chapstick at Mount Rushmore at the gift shop, I actually have to recommend. It's really good. It's done a great job. I've used a lot of chapsticks over the years. This is probably the best chapstick I've ever used. <laughs> Uh, so there you go. Uh, I should mention that, you know, uh, this podcast is not sponsored. Uh, if you're watching on YouTube, this video is not sponsored. Uh, I'm just talking honestly about our experiences and that was actually a really good product. So if you're out at Mount Rushmore and you need chapstick, go hit the gift shop. It's good. <laughs> when we were there, we were able to meet someone who had worked on Mount Rushmore, which was amazing. Uh, and John was able to get a book signed, um, by this person. And so that was quite great. Uh, and then we went on from there. We saw the uh, skeleton man walking the skeleton dinosaur, which was on my list of things I wanted to see. Unfortunately, there's no really good spot to stop and look at it. and You don't get too close to it. And it's honestly not as impressive as I was kind of hoping. Um, but we're probably going to throw a quick little video together or something on YouTube so you can get a look at what that is. Um, but unlike the center of the nation, it's probably not worth stopping for. It's just a cool thing to keep an eye out for uh, when you're in that area. So then we got to Sioux Falls, uh, still in South Dakota, and we met up with Gutang Clan, uh, one of our uh, Patreon patrons. So thank you for the support, Gutang. Uh, really appreciate that. He is a big supporter and fan of the Mario Marathon um, and the CU Podcast, for example. You'll often, if you listen to the CU Podcast, uh, which is Pat Contry's um, retro gaming podcast, uh, you'll often find that he, he has questions submitted. Uh, and so that was great. He took us out to a Who Hot Mongolian Grill, which... I didn't realize until I was there, I had been to one once before with Sam on some trip. I don't know where we were. It was probably California, but it might have been a Flo I, I don't know. I don't think it was Florida because I think we were driving. So it was probably California. Anyways, um, we were trying to go to some place, you know, an Olive Garden or something. And it had like a two hour wait. And then we saw this like Mongolian grill type thing across the, the mini mall way. We went over and we ate there and it was amazing. But I didn't take any pictures or video, and for the life of me, I couldn't remember what it was called. But it had this unique thing where they, they cook the food as it goes around this circle, and you watch after you kind of, like, it's it's one of those things where you dish it up yourself, and then they, they, they cook it for you. Uh, and it's it was absolutely fantastic. Very reasonable price. Uh, so that was uh, that was um, Gutang Clan showing us, uh, you know, some hospitality there in South Dakota, which was... Um, which was quite nice, and it was it was a great little conversation, and I mean it was <laughs> it was cool because uh, I mean I've met a lot of famous people and celebrities over the years. I've never felt like I was on the other side of that conversation, and to th this time I kind of did a little bit, and it was and it was nice. It was like you know uh, someone who is a fan of the content and just you know sitting down and, and having a conversation. So uh, you know thank you Gutang for being gentle <laughs> for our first time doing something like that. Um, but that was a lot of fun. Uh, got some good you know information about traveling. In the area as well and um, it was just good getting to know him so then we went on from there 
and a uh, 17-day trip. I'm trying to remember what came next after that. Uh, after that, we headed into Iowa, and oh my god, corn everywhere. <laughs> John will rant about that at some point in the future, I'm almost certain. Um, but we went to the largest frying pan in Iowa. And I want to be clear, it is Iowa's largest frying pan, not the largest frying pan in the world. And when I got to it, I kind of saw why. Uh, I was expecting something larger than it was in the pictures I had seen. It was still large enough that I could stand inside of it, which was kind of cool. But it was it was a little smaller than I anticipated. But it was still cool. Uh, there's nothing there. Uh, there isn't so much as a washroom uh, if you go to go check this out. So, you know, it's cool. You go there, you take a couple of pictures, you stretch your legs on a long road trip. Those are all good things. But it's not like there's a gift shop. It's not like there's services or food or gas or anything right there. It's kind of in the middle of nowhere to a degree. The only reason it made sense for us to go there is because we were going to Riverside, Iowa, which was... Um, in the Star Trek universe, fictionally where Captain Kirk was born, and the town has sort of adopted this, and so they've got a few attractions there in a gift shop, and so we filmed some stuff there that you can uh, stay tuned to our YouTube channel to see, because later in the trip we went to Vulcan, Alberta, which is a, a town that's done a very similar thing, and so we have kind of done a compare and contrast of the two, so stay tuned, Vacation Impossible on YouTube. Uh, subscribe with notifications on so you can see when that video comes out and then you can find out, you know, if, if you're a diehard Star Trek fan and you can only go to one of these two places, which is the one to go to? There's a very clear answer, but I'm not going to spoil it. It's a little teaser for you there. Uh, and so then we went to Chicago. We got in a little late. And so instead of going out to a nice deep dish pizza place, uh, we just ordered some delivery, but from a, a local place that's been around for a while, very authentic. And I had had Reggio's at O'Hare, which is Chicago's International Airport, several times. But uh, it was always, like they only ever had cheese or pepperoni. So I was able to get like a Hawaiian, which was nice. Um, but upon having it, it's good. It's fine. But honestly, I think I'm a New York pizza guy. Um, I really like Bananos in the food court at MGM in Las Vegas, and I, if I had to choose between the two, I would absolutely go to Bananos um, over uh, Chicago Deep Dish, even in Chicago. And driving into Chicago was problematic because there were tolls all over the place, and there wasn't a whole lot of warning in advance. And so we were constantly scrambling to, you know, get the money together because we don't want to hold things up. Uh, and it was like, oh, th uh, 360. Oh, it's $1.10. Oh, it's $1.50. Oh, it's 380. Oh, it's, you know. And so we're just burning through cash because a lot of it was cash only. Um, and so that was that was irritating. And we've got a rant video that'll be coming out about that. Again, youtube.com slash vacation impossible. Uh, stay tuned. I go on a bit of a wobbler. That'll be coming out. And um, in Chicago, it seemed like so many roads were closed, like so many, trying to get downtown. Then we finally, you know, managed to get downtown. We wanted to go to Millennium Park and take a look around. Um, the parking is something like $25 for the first half hour. Uh, and despite that high cost, uh, many lots were full. So after a few attempts, we just kind of bailed on it. Um, you know, we just weren't feeling it anymore. Honestly, between the tolls and the road closures, the astronomical parking, and the unavailability of spaces, it just didn't feel worthwhile. It got to a point where it just was frustrating. So it didn't feel very welcoming. Um, and so we just moved on. And ironically, apparently there was actually a spate of uh, uh, gun violence in Chicago around that time. So, um, you know, the people back home were actually kind of glad when we told them that we kind of bailed on Chicago because uh, they were concerned about us, uh, you know, things being in the news. So then we head on to Indianapolis for Gen Con, which is the whole point of this trip. Uh, it is the, um, outside of Germany, it's the largest board gaming convention in the world. 
and it's uh, it was cool. Like what do they call it? The four best game or the four best days in gaming. And uh, got to hang out with some of the Mario Marathon people, um, like Diamond Dog Nate and uh, Brian and uh, Shanabad and uh, met some other people. Saw Jed, but didn't have a chance to talk to him much. We were gaming it like side, like you know, side by side for a bit there. Um, but got to meet you know Morgan and Nate's sister Michelle and just lovely people all the way around. Uh, we got to we're, we are friends of Dale. We've got the badge that the the little ribbon that you can attach to your badge, uh, which is cool. So that was a lot of fun and. You know, I talk about Indianapolis feeling like it's my second home. This was my third time to Indianapolis, my first time for something other than a Mario Marathon. And it's, yeah, it's it's like family. It's like, it's like, it's like I also grew up with these people, even though I didn't. Uh, and so it's just great having that kind of thing. And Hoosier hospitality is absolutely a thing. Uh, at one point, John was on a scooter. He hurt his leg. I was somewhere else at the time. And a bunch of, you know... Uh, people in Indianapolis, the Hoosiers, uh, were all so, so helpful to him. Um, and we just kept running into that over and over again. And so when we were at uh, Gen Con, we got into a will call line that ended up lasting about 45 minutes, which we were told is not a bad wait for Gen Con. That's how big this thing is. Um, and so we did do uh, a 10-minute live stream from there. The Wi-Fi from there was was better. You can go check that out on YouTube. Um, and so like the people behind us in front of us were kind of getting in on the fun. Uh, and that was quite nice. But to find the will call lineup, because the convention center is enormous, uh, you know, John was going to try and get on the Wi-Fi, download a map or whatever, or try and figure it out, find, um, you know, customer service or something. And I'm like, wait a minute, we're, we're in Indiana. This is not a problem. I just walked up to the first person I saw and say, hey, uh, do you happen to know where the will call line is? Because he already had his badge. He walked us two-thirds of the way to the line and then pointed us the rest of the way so he couldn't have been nicer and it's not anomalous in indiana or indianapolis you get that kind of friendly helpfulness all over it's kind of like a little pocket of canada in the united states because canada's a lot like that maybe even they put us to shame with the niceness i think they, they might they're they're more nice they're more helpful uh they, they, they're more canadian than canadians <laughs> which might be why i get along with them so well um, but it was nice. So John got to meet Nate and, um, you know, he got a sense of it. And so he understands now, I think, the draw of Indiana and Indianapolis. And he definitely wants to go back both for a future Gen Con, but also because it's just the people are just so nice. Uh, and the houses are so much cheaper than Vancouver. <laughs> so that is quite a compelling argument. Uh, I kind of joke sometimes that I'm, you know, I want to retire there. And yeah, the draw is substantial. So one of the things that we did at Gen Con that was absolutely amazing, I've never done before, something called True Dungeon. And so I am a neophyte when it comes to these things. I don't play Dungeons and Dragons. I play some board games. You know, I like a little Pandemic and Ticket to Ride and stuff like that from time to time. You know, a little Alhambra is all good. Um, but, you know, once you got to break out the dice and the pencil and the paper, if it's not Yahtzee, it's a little bit much for me. Uh, with character stats and all those sorts of things, I never really got into it. I played some, like, RPGs, like, on you know, video games where I don't do the math, <laughs> uh, that's fine. But so what, what this was uh, true dungeon from sort of the neophyte point of view, um, I was told it was a little bit like LARPing, which is live action role play, but it's more like Dungeons and Dragons, but with like costumes and characters. I didn't know fully what to expect. For one thing, uh, I didn't know if we were supposed to dress up. 
But once I did it, I have to say it's amazing. I highly recommend True Dungeon. It's very popular, so I might come to regret giving it this endorsement because I don't need the competition and trying to book things in the future. I definitely want to go back to Gen Con. I am sold. Uh, and I definitely want to do as much True Dungeon as I get, get my hands on. That is fun. It's like $80 per session, but it is worth it. And here's why. Here's what True Dungeon really is. What it really is is a series of seven escape rooms. That's the way I think that you market it to people who aren't into D&D because that's what it was for me. Every room you go into with your team of like, however many other people are there, generally eight, plus John and I for 10, um, you know, so you group of 10 people, you go into a room and you either have to defeat a monster or you have to solve a puzzle. So solving the puzzle is cool. That's escape room type stuff. Um, you know, there'll be some clues. There'll be a person there in character, in costume. Maybe there'll be an audio cue, uh, either music or uh, like something will be read out. Uh, it's really quite well done. It's amazing. Uh, and then the combat, you are given a bag of tokens prior to going into uh, the true dungeon. And then you, you're able to basically equip your character with items from the tokens. And you keep the tokens from game to game. So the more you play, the greater variety you have, and you might have you know better items, defenses, weapons, and stuff like that. That part can be a little intimidating, but for the most part, everyone that I was in that, because you go into a room and you set up your character. And it's actually pretty easy. You put tokens down in squares. It's like that. Um, but the other people there were really quite helpful. They would lend you a token that might help you do better, because you're all on the same team. It's cooperative, which is lovely. I mean, some of my favorite games are cooperative. I mentioned Pandemic earlier. You know, Forbidden Desert, Forbidden Island. Those are fun, fun games. I love the cooperative stuff. Um, and so they'll help you and you give the token back after it's been recorded. The only token you need to really keep on you other than certain things I'm still learning about, like single-use items, is your weapon. So you put your weapon into a little a little disc, a little, little round thing that's kind of like a mini shuffleboard puck. And so the combat is there's a picture of the thing you're fighting on a board, on a table, and you slide it, your weapon, down there, and depending on where it lands, it may or may not hit, and it may or may not do a certain amount of damage. It depends on how strong your weapon is and where it landed. That's how combat works, and it's pretty simple. You slide and go, slide and go, slide and go. You know, uh, and so if you're an, uh, a newbie trying out True Dungeon for the first time, I recommend being either the Barbarian or the Fighter because, um, you know, there's nothing too complicated about that. Whereas if you're like a Cleric, you're healing people, you only have so many heals, you got to decide. That's a little bit more complicated, and so I would recommend that for, like, after you've done it a couple of times, if at all possible. Um, but it was a lot of fun. And there was one time where it was actually my first one. And I sit down and John says, look, be the barbarian because it's your first time and that'll be easier. I said, sure. And so I get my barbarian all kitted out and I'm ready for it and like, okay. And this guy comes in and he was absolutely convinced that he should be the barbarian. And apparently there was a message board for Gen Con where he went in and called it. Even though, and I went afterwards to this, to this message board and they say, you can't do that functionally. So anyways... Um, he was so angry and he was being a petty little child and he easily had 20 years on me, at least 10, maybe 20. And so he's sitting there and he's stewing to his friend. You know, I don't know, barbarian. I called it. That should be mine. Blah, blah. And I'm like, and everyone else in the room is just kind of glaring at him. They're doing their own thing. They're all being collaborative, but he's not wanting to speak to anyone. And I'm like, this guy is going to ruin this experience. I spent $80 between John and I, $160 to do this. And this petulant child is going to make it in, in, an intolerable experience. And we're all going to be like, have our hackles up the whole time. This is going to suck. But somewhere between finishing character creation and going into the training room, he became the nicest guy. It's the weirdest thing. And that's one of the things, uh, like, people in Indianapolis, super nice. People who play board games are often pretty nice, too. There's the odd anomaly here and there. You know, a table captain who's a jerk who won't tell you the rules because he wants to win. Stuff like that, you know. Those are rare. 
So when you get the Venn diagram that has the crossover of people in Indianapolis and people who play board games, you'll find some of the nicest people you've ever met. And so this guy, even though he was only a little bit of a jerk, was so off-putting because I'm surrounded by all these really, really nice people. Anyways, as soon as we move into the training room, Suddenly he's laughing, he's helping people out, giving advice, being flexible, thank God. <laughs> uh, and so, you know, he kind of grew up in that moment or he just decided to have fun. And thank God, please choose happiness whenever you have the choice. Uh, you know, being happy is a choice. And so he did cho choose to have some fun. And because it's his money too, right? So, you know, thank God for that. Uh, and so it all worked fine. And so again, people who are doing True Dungeon for the first time ever, there's a training room where you can practice sliding those shuffleboard pucks, the little ones. Uh, and also, like, some of the magic casters, you might have to memorize something, shapes or whatever. Um, and so that gives you time to memorize your spells, basically, before going in. And so each room lasts, I believe, 12 minutes. A tone will sound, I think, at that six-minute mark, so you know when you're halfway through. And if you don't complete it in time, they push you out to the next room and your character takes damage. If you take too much damage, you run out of hit points, you're functionally dead. So you can't participate, you can only watch. However, in my case, I played three games, um, and really characters only died in the last room of one of the games, including mine, because we lost that one. Um, so they were able to, you know, stick with it the whole way through. And there are different difficulty levels you can play on. And we did normal every single time. And so that kept everyone engaged, even when there was, like, four new players and two super experienced people, and then, like, John and I in the middle. It was always fun. Uh, and then there was one session where uh, almost everyone but John and I were cosplayers. And they they were just so great. They were, they were bubbly and funny and fun. And they laughed at my jokes, and so I like that. Uh, um, but no, like, it was just, they had the greatest attitude. And so playing with them was, and even though the other groups were fun, but playing with them was like a whole nother level of fun. I, I love cosplayers. Uh, after that experience, I actually, I wrote a blog post. If you check us out on Tumblr, we're vacationimpossible.tumblr.com. Uh, you can see some of my my blog posts there, the ones that I don't put on Patreon. Most of mine go on Patreon for the patrons, but every now and then I'll put sort of a freebie out on, on Tumblr. And so that was one of the ones because I just wanted to give a shout out to just cosplayers in general. That whole community and culture around cosplaying, it seems so inclusive and so positive and so much fun, so full of energy. Uh, it's so creative and vibrant that I just, I, I, I massively respect it. I admire it. I, I look up to it. And, you know, 10 years ago, I thought it was weird. And so for that perspective, I apologize. I couldn't have been more wrong. Uh, but I also think that the culture around it has evolved uh, and become more, you know, body positive and accepting and things like that. And I think that's all fantastic. So um, yay, cosplayers. If you can hang out with cosplayers, they're fun. Cosplayers have more fun. <laughs> um yeah, and so anyways, we, we had our sort of four or five days in Indianapolis, which was fantastic. Then we started to drive back, and our first stop on the way back was uh, St. Louis, where we got to see the Gateway Arch, which, um, in contrasting it to Mount Rushmore, because they're both like iconic American tourist destinations, tourist traps you might consider. Uh, I don't, but uh, I enjoy tourist traps, so I'm not the best judge of such things, um, but it, you know, there is the ability to go up into the arch that takes 45 minutes to an hour once you your time is available. We showed up around one and the next slot was at five and we needed to be in Kansas City by then. So we couldn't go up in it. Um, and we didn't quite research it in advance. We didn't prepare. I didn't realize until honestly the night before that you could even go in the bloody thing. Uh, just because this is, I mean, 70 day trip, so many stops. There's only so much research I was able to do. And I clearly spent too much time on the skeleton man walking the skeleton dinosaur. That's my mistake. Learn from my mistake. That's why I'm here. Uh, so that was good to know. But anyways, you can still go to the arch. You can touch the arch. You can stand under the arch. John wasn't feeling great, so he sat down, and I went to kind of do that by myself. And it's next to the Mississippi River, 
and it's so quiet and it's calm and it's peaceful and it's serene and that frankly was shocking because you go to Universal Studios, you go to Hollywood, you go to Mount Rushmore, and there's like music playing and crowds, people are constantly talking, crying babies, people complaining, people selling souvenirs and food and, you know, all that sorts of stuff. Um, But you go to the arch, the gateway arch, and I mean, admittedly, it was the middle of the day, I think on a weekday, but it was just calm. And so I'm standing underneath it, and because it was around noon, 1 p.m., the sun was positioned just behind it when I stood underneath it. And it was just so beautiful. The sky was such a rich and vibrant blue. And the rich and vibrant blue of the sky was reflecting off the arch itself. And so it was just this lovely sort of peaceful moment. You know, and and so it's it's nice to be able to take in a tourist attraction, a monument, um, and, and kind of, this is going to sound a little weird, but, you know, kind of feel a sense of peace that maybe you didn't feel while you were on the road trip, watching the clock, looking for exits and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and so it was just so refreshing and nice. And it just gave me time to think about, you know, uh, I don't, I don't know if this is a thing, but I think it should be a thing. It's like, if you're under the arch by yourself, who do you think about? I think that should be a thing. <laughs> or what do you think about? I think, I, I don't know. Uh, for me, it was kind of like, you know. This is, I don't know, it was a weird thing. I was thinking about like, oh, you know, you know, who, who would I like to share this with? Who would I like to show, you know, this to? And so I took some pictures, um, but again, there was no Wi-Fi, so no live broadcast, no live stream. But uh, it was just, I, I, it was amazing. It was one of the best things I've seen this trip. I wasn't expecting it to be the way it was. I didn't expect, I thought it would be kitschy. I thought it would be busy and stressful and touristy, but it's really not. And so I think everyone should see the arch and stand under the arch at some point just by yourself and just take a moment. Uh, I think that should be a thing. If it's not a thing, I want to make it a thing. That's, that's my challenge to you, you know, my vacation impossible challenge if you choose to accept it. Go to St. Louis and stand under the arch uh, and just kind of be still for a bit and just think, meditate, whatever you want to call it. I, I I don't know. I'm probably sounding a little crazy to some of you right now, but that's just my thoughts on that. Uh, and then we went to Pappy's Smokehouse, which uh, the Food Network fans may have heard of because it's voted uh, number one ribs in America by the Food Network. And I'm not a big fan of the Food Network myself. It's led me astray a few times before, um, but we were there for lunch. So uh, like a full rack, rack of ribs wouldn't have been appropriate. Uh, would have been a little too heavy for getting back in the car and then driving for five hours without like the food coma setting in. So uh, instead I had a, um, a chicken sandwich. Uh, so did John and he got some brisket with it. And and uh, both with a baked potato. The baked potato was all right. It, there's no salt at the table and it desperately needed salt. But um, in terms of the sandwich, the, the chicken was super moist and there's four different sauces um, that was there. John recommended I try Jane's sweet sauce for some reason. Uh, he thought I would like it and he was absolutely correct. And the thing is, the bread is kind of like cornbread and it is very, um, it absorbs a lot. So when you're putting sauce on at Pappy's Steakhouse in St. Louis, if you go, be very liberal and generous with your with your use of the sauce. Um, and the brisket was fantastic. I haven't had a brisket that good since one. I think my first cruise in 2013. Um, and so the brisket was fantastic. Uh, I recommend that. And the service was pretty good. You you know you go up, you order. Uh, they take your name and you know they they uh, they bring it out. And there's a, a fountain drink dispenser for your pop or soda that you can go and refill. Uh, and so the people are really quite friendly. And it's I mean obviously it's famous for obviously it's food, but you know the Food Network has given it attention. Um, and so they had a lot of menus that have been signed by famous people who had gone there, including entire Olympic teams. Uh, and so I was um, <laughs> I was sitting underneath the menu for Flava Flav. <laughs> 
which I thought was awesome. Um, the first CD I bought was was Public Enemy, so I was like, oh my gosh, this is awesome. <laughs> Uh, also, he's just such a funny character that, you know, that it was like, yeah, this is this is appropriate for me. This is cool. Um, but there were just so many other people who had signed things there of, um, you know, various fame and accomplishment. Uh, so it's almost like a hard rock cafe in the sense that you could probably spend a good chunk of time just walking around looking at all the things on the walls. Uh, unfortunately, we were in the middle of a road trip, didn't have time for much of that, had to get back on the road and on into Kansas City. Uh, and then from Kansas City, it was on into Denver. And there was, um, we were going to be meeting with um, uh, another YouTuber in Denver, but unfortunately the schedule got, wires got a little crossed on the timing, which is totally fine. Um, but it's somebody that I did a recent little collab with. He's called Ace of Vegas. And so he does videos about the My Vegas uh, game on Facebook and app, where you can get coins and, chain, and uh, by playing for free and trade those in for things like Las Vegas shows, hotel rooms, meals, vouchers, cruises, all sorts of stuff like that. We've used it before in Vegas to see shows for free, but never much more than that, because uh, we're not the expert that he is. But he recently hit 1,000 subscribers, so congratulations, uh, Ace of Vegas, on that. And so their collaboration to celebrate that was, um, because we were planning this trip, I was wondering where else can I use those coins that isn't Las Vegas? Because maybe somewhere on this trip, I could go get a free meal or something. That would have been amazing. So um, it's not that easy to, in the, in the game, see where you can use it geographically. Because it's also really focused on Vegas, but there's other things outside of Vegas you can use it for, like in Hawaii and Beau Rivage and stuff like that. Uh, and so I requested that he throw all of the locations on a map for me. Uh, and so I submitted a video question to him, and he was so nice to do that. Uh, and so I checked out the map and the video, it was great, uh, and we weren't anywhere near any of those things. So he went to the work, and it'll hopefully benefit other people, but in this instance for us, um, our trip didn't line up with any of the free My, My Vegas freebie redeemable things you can do. Uh, but driving into Denver, we hit uh, just epic weather. We're driving along, and uh, there starts to be some rain, and the rain starts to become a monsoon, and hail starts getting into it. Hail between the size of a golf ball and a baseball. I was legitimately worried that the windshield would shatter and that something would come in and, like, get me in the legs. Like, it was seriously worrying. And so we're driving along, and we're noticing some cars had started to pull off to the side of the highway because they weren't able to proceed for whatever reason. Visibility, maybe engine problems, whatever. Uh, and so we're driving along, and the visibility is kind of reducing a little bit. And it goes from, like, 100 meters to nothing in an instant, and it was terrifying. It was like somebody had just draped a wall of snow or something on the front of the car. We couldn't see anything. We were in a fog. We were disconnected from the entire world. We couldn't see anything. So we, uh, John, you know, thankfully was it managed to pull us over to the side, onto the left side shoulder, uh, and get us just off the highway. But now we're stopped on the highway, which is an incredibly dangerous place to be, especially with visibility like this. Um, and so we had noticed a couple overpasses where motorcyclists and later in like a bunch of cars were um, were stopping under the overpass, I guess, as a, as a protection, as a shelter. Um, to the point where in some cases only one lane had been kind of open to get around them, which is super dangerous. Uh, so anyways, we're there for a little bit. It starts to clear a little. We're starting to get like 10 meter visibility, which is not a lot. We're talking like one or two car lengths, which at highway speeds, it's not sufficient, not safe. But we're able to kind of see some of the, some of the traffic that's coming through. And so we realize that if we get behind a truck, um, then we can, we, we can kind of follow that 
and just at a nice, safe, relatively slow speed. And that's exactly what we did. And we were able to get out of the weather. Um, the funny thing was is that we've been recording uh, time-lapse pictures slash video stuff with our GoPros on this trip. Uh, sometimes we have one pointing out, sometimes pointed one pointed into the car at us. So we had one pointed into the car at the time this happened. So I haven't looked at those photos yet, but it, there, were, there are probably going to be time-lapse pictures of us freaking the hell out which uh, should be interesting. But the other thing was is that we've been recording some more of our tip videos, particularly with a focus on road trips because we've been doing this for, you know, 18 years now. And we've always meant to give tips about like, you know, choosing the right exit and other things, you know, the role of the navigator and a lot of different things, tips that can really help uh, road trips go uh, better, more smoothly, more efficiently, save you money, save you time, make you have more fun, less stress, all of that. And so we were in the middle of recording one of those when this all went down. And so we kept the camera running because I legitimately thought this might be the last thing I ever record. I thought that this could be sort of the evidence they go through to find out why I died. It was that terrifying. And so I just felt like I should leave it running. Um, and in the end, we survived. And so this is going to be quite the dramatic video, I suspect. I'm going to have to bleep out a lot of swearing because <laughs> that's what you do in a situation like that. It's a stress reaction. Um, but anyways, we're live and everything's fine. We made it. <laughs> uh, so then we went on from Denver. Um which was on to then Salt Lake City, from Salt Lake City on to Great Falls. Great Falls was interesting. Um, you can really see the impact of illegal drugs in Great Falls. I don't know whether it's cocaine or meth, but there's a lot of people that are clearly having their lives torn apart and ruined by opioids and things like this. And so that was kind of sad to see. We wanted to go to the Sips and Dip Lounge where they have real life mermaids. And we were there for a moment, but it was packed. Um, and so I did record a little bit of video because I did not see the sign that said you're not supposed to. But it's very, very short. And as soon as I knew, I shut it off. Uh, and then, frankly, we just had to go eat um, at a restaurant that happened to be downstairs from there because the place was just wall-to-wall -wall packed. Um, it would have taken forever. And so we ate there. And it was a very small town, very small town feel. Our waitress apparently is pressing charges against an ex who's not respecting a court order, uh, um, restraining order, I guess, uh, violating it by sending her a lot of texts. And for some reason, she felt the need to let us know about that as part of our food service. And so uh, the place is definitely suffering from, in addition to a problem with opioid addiction, um, it's, I, I call it small townitis. And I don't want to crap on small towns, although I... I didn't grow up in one, I don't have experience in one, so I do feel fish out of water when I'm in small towns a lot. But uh, it was one of the things where, like, you walk into the restaurant and everyone stops eating and looks at you. <laughs> That's a little weird. Um, but at the same time, the uh, the restaurant at the same motel as the, uh, the mermaid bar, as I like to call it... Um, it had a lot of locals. And so when you are at a place that locals frequent, that's generally a, a good endorsement for a couple of reasons. You're probably getting a fair price. Um, you're probably getting food of a sufficient quality. And so these are the people who know what's available and choose to go there when they have these options all the time. So in a way, I felt kind of proud that we were there because I, I think we chose well. And the food, good price, large portions, super tasty. Uh, I got this Hawaiian burger thing and some mac and cheese. The mac and cheese was good, but I could, I only had a couple bites because I was so full from the burger. Um, and so super generous portioning, uh, and for a fair, a very fair price, you got to wait a while. The service took, takes a while. And like I said, service gets a little bizarrely personal about, you know, what's going on in their lives, but, um, Hey, it makes you feel like a local, I guess. So that's not so bad. 
and then we were on our mission to get here to Edmonton, where I am now. And that was uh, one of those long way to go, short time to get there situations, with apologies to Smokey and the Bandit. Um, so, yeah, we we left pretty early. Uh, and we needed, we left it, I think 8am and we needed to, or a little bit before that, we needed to get to Edmonton by five so that John could make it to a wedding rehearsal dinner that was about an hour outside of Edmonton by six. And, uh, we did it. Uh, the, there was, we went through the border crossing, um, and, uh, at Coots, Alberta, um, but the, the Nexus Lane wasn't open. And so we did have like a 20-odd minute, 25-minute maybe wait at the border, which is long for us with our Nexus passes, but still not that bad. Uh, and we were, we John had to make a stop to buy a dress shirt for the wedding. Uh, we were going to go into Calgary to do that, but we found somewhere in Lethbridge that was way faster. So that saved us some time there, uh, and we had some good luck with no traffic on the highway. So that all worked out. And now, as I'm recording this, John is at that wedding. Uh, he's the MC. And in his brand new shirt. And I spent the day at uh, West Edmonton Mall today. And then I just came back to the hotel to record this podcast. So that's the trip so far. That's like a 47-minute trip report. Um, that's a long one. But anyways, let's just get into some of the other things. Uh, talking about future travel plans for our group. Um, still waiting to hear if there's any kind of a Mario Marathon that's going to happen. So I try to keep at least a week of vacation in reserve in case that trigger gets pulled at some point. This late in the year, I suspect it's not going to happen. I kind of didn't bring it up with Brian because I'm... It's just not a thing that's done. You know, it's kind of like when he decides, he decides. I don't want to seem like I'm pressuring him or anything. At the same time, Brian, if you listen to this, the more warning I get, the better. It makes life a lot easier. My flights, my flights get cheaper. I book it early. So, in hotel too. So, please and thanks. As much warning as possible. But also, uh, it's all about raising money for Child's Play Charity, which helps children's hospitals all across the world. And so, I mean, it's certain, something that I'm happy to spend my time and money in supporting. Uh, so it'd be nice if that happens. Also, Hootie and the Blowfish are touring again for like the first time in like a decade, and I love them. They're like my second favorite band of all time. So, and they've got Barry Ladies opening for them, which is like my third favorite band of all time. <laughs> uh, so I would very much like to see if I can try to get to one of those concerts. They just announced, I think, two days ago, they've got a new album coming out on like November first. Uh, Hootie and the Blowfish did. So I'm super excited about that. I hope I get a chance to go see them. I don't know if it'll work with my various commitments and schedule and vacations. I don't know. A lot of my traveling companions are unavailable for the rest of the year, so we'll see what happens. Uh, we do have Portland Retro Gaming Expo coming up in October. We are going to that. I just don't know how many of us. <laughs> right now, myself and Julian are committed. Uh, Mike is hoping to get the time off, and we'll see who else is healthy and can get the time off. But we're definitely planning on doing that. So if it's just Julian and I, we could be taking the train down, and that'd be kind of an adventure. Um, but we do like driving. It's a very nice road trip, and you get a bit more freedom when you have the car. So we'll see what happens. Uh, we haven't booked our hotel yet, but we do have our event tickets. And then in December, on December 14th, we are sailing on the Carnival Panorama. It is going to be the second ever sailing of that particular Vista-class Carnival cruise ship out of Long Beach, California. Uh, going the Mexican Riviera trip for us, which is going to be Cabo San Lucas, Mazatlan, and Puerto Vallarta. Uh, we haven't decided what we're doing in those places yet, um, but we're definitely taking that cruise. We've got a family harbor suite, uh, or family harbor balcony. Sorry, it's not a suite, it's a balcony. Uh, I don't make sweet money, I make balcony money, <laughs> if I'm lucky. Sometimes I make interior money. Depends on the sailing and how I'm managing my money. But um, 
Anyways, it's slightly uh, more expensive than what I intended to book. I was a little distracted during the booking process and clicked the wrong thing. So it's a little bit above our general affordability range, which I've talked about in this podcast. We have a video on YouTube about what I consider affordable for a cruise. It's slightly above that, but it's also a new thing. So I'm looking forward to showing you guys what that's all about. Uh, and that cruise is going to be a lot of fun. We still haven't figured out our flights or hotel or whatever, but the cruise itself is booked and paid for. We're going to be there. Um, there is a three-day sailing immediately prior that only goes to Ensenada, but we aren't doing that because at a per-day rate, it's astronomical. And you know what? It's the shakedown cruise. Let other people figure out those, those little flaws. We'll come in for the, for the sophomore effort uh, and enjoy things being a little bit more ironed out, potentially. So that's good. Uh, for next year, 2020, we are looking at a potential cruise that will fully transit the Panama Canal, but that's just an idea at this point. We haven't booked anything, so stay tuned. One thing we wanted to cover in this podcast is how to prevent and cure seasickness. We have spoken about it before, but we've gotten a lot of feedback in the comments on uh, YouTube, and we've seen a lot of things in Facebook groups about the other sort of ways of doing it. And so I was concerned that we might have been presenting a narrow focus and opinion. So for this, uh, we, we have John, who is... A veteran of the Canadian Navy, he was in the Navy for 12 years, and he got a lot of seasickness. So as a man who knows what he's talking about, uh, I spoke with him earlier about that. So through the power and magic of editing, I'm now going to toss it over to John and Ray from a few days ago to talk about how to prevent and cure seasickness with a Navy veteran. So I'm here with John, who was in the Canadian Navy for a dozen years, and we're going to be talking about seasickness and things you can do to prevent it and things you can do to deal with it if and when you do have it. So, uh, especially for those cruisers, first-time cruisers, even experienced cruisers, seasickness can come up uh, for different people. So here's sort of a, a tip, an interview with a, a veteran of, <laughs> of multiple sailings and a literal veteran uh, who can hopefully answer some questions and give us some tips about how to, how to prevent and cure seasickness. Not only a veteran of the military, but also a veteran of seasickness, because I have been seasick myself countless times uh, with the frequency that the Navy goes out. Uh, eventually, 90% of people get seasick once you get in, into rough enough weather. Uh, it doesn't take that much weather to get me sick. Sick, I have kind of a weak tolerance for it. Um, but there are things that you can do. So the first thing uh, is to lay down. Uh, if you lay down, it generally fixes your seasickness. It's not a permanent solution by any means, because when you sit back up or you uh, or go walking about, you're still going to feel seasickness, but it is like an immediate solution, and seasickness is something that makes you want to lay down, it makes you want to sleep, it exhausts your system. Uh, so one piece of advice I have to give is always be drinking water or some sort of fluid to keep your fluids in, uh, because if you do get seasick, you will be throwing up, uh, and you'll be throwing up frequently, uh, and it's not going to get better when you do. Because that's another big tip about seasickness is if you can not throw up, do that. Uh, because, I mean, sometimes it's going to be uncontrollable, clearly. Everybody's throwing up uncontrollably. It happens. Um, but usually when you throw up, you start to feel better. Right, like if you get the flu and you throw up, you're like, oh, okay, I feel a bit better after that. Or, or a migraine, or a as migraine. Well. Yeah. That can be a big uh, step forward in your recovery process. or relieving pressure. Seasickness works exactly the opposite. Throwing up will make you feel worse. Wow. So do make sure to keep your fluids up uh, because fluid loss and um, uh, dehydration uh, is a big cause of how people get even further uh, sick you know, when they're seasick. So for for that fluid thing, mm -hmm. um, alcohol, Red Bull. Are either of those or both of those recommended, or should no. you avoid both? Avoid both. Water. 
Straight water. It's water. the best. It's the best thing to hydrate your whole system. Mm-hmm. Don't have Gatorade. Don't have Powerade. Don't have any kind of sport drink. Just so it's not about electrolytes. Water. It's not about electrolytes. I mean, it might be a little bit there. Maybe you have a sip of Gatorade, whatever. Because I mean, water starts to taste bad after a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you can eat, because you won't feel like eating, I guarantee your appetite will suddenly vanish. There were days on the ship where I just didn't eat because I was seasick. Uh, if you can get a couple crackers down, uh, some plain. You know, dry toast, maybe a bit of butter on it, maybe some rice. Uh, all these things will help kind of stabilize your, your system, um, but it won't help fix your seasickness. It'll just give you a bit more calories, let your body kind of mm. kind of work itself. Um, so uh, mm. thinking about beverages, uh, yeah. also about things that are available on a cruise ship, um, what about things like ginger ale, Sprite, hot chocolate, lemonade, iced tea, or any of those? What would you say, good or bad? Uh, I would say uh, things with caffeine are generally things that don't hydrate you too well. Yeah, it's a diuretic. So, so it's exactly. Uh, so you want to avoid those things. Uh, ginger ale, I don't think has any caffeine in it, no. uh, and it might help settle your stomach a little. Uh, I would say if you're going to do that, or if you're going to drink any carbonated beverage, drink it flat. Leave it open and drink it flat. Okay. Um, I think Mike recommends that as well. He also yeah. recommends the lying down uh, thing. Because, I mean, if you get start getting gas generated in your stomach, there's already going to be gas generating in your stomach, so you're going to be burping quite a bit mm-hmm. um so that's normal uh putting in carbonated beverages is only going to make you burp more and it's only going to distend your stomach up more which is only going to make you feel worse and more nauseated um now there's two types of people uh there's people that will feel seasickness regardless and there's people that feel seasickness when they can't see the horizon mm. so if you're of the first group uh there's not much you're going to be able to do. We'll get to what you can what you can do later. But for the people that helps uh, to see the horizon, go outside, hang out on, on an upper deck, or be in a place where you can see the horizon and get some fresh air. Mm. A lot of people that will help their seasickness sometimes cure it. If they go back down below, maybe they don't feel as bad, and it might you know come back later. And if you just keep looking at the horizon, so you have a point of reference to, so your system understands what's happening, mm. then that can help a lot of people. Now, for those of you who don't, and I'm one of those people who that doesn't work for, mm-hmm. um, part one is uh, taking Bonamine. Uh, Bonamine is an over-the-counter medication you can buy uh, at just about any drugstore uh, around. Uh, it's meant for motion sickness. It's meant so you start taking it before you feel motion sick, mm. and it helps you through the motion sickness. And it's very light. There's not a lot, if any, side effects. Um, so it's, it, it's good to take. And that, um, and that works for you. And that does not work for me. Okay. Um, <laughs> let me let me ask you this. If it's somebody's yeah. first time sailing, mm-hmm. and they don't yet know what kind of seasickness, if any, they'll feel, mm-hmm. would you recommend them taking that as a preventative measure, or do you think that they should wait to see if it's necessary? I would say uh, that that's a tough question, because if you're not going to get seasickness, it's a waste of money. Mm-hmm. But if you are going to get seasickness, and that's going to help it, then it's good to do it as a preventative measure. So... If I'm looking at this at the long run, I would say start with Bonamine, even if you've never been to sea and you think you might be seasick or you just don't want to even have the chance hmm. of getting seasick, start taking the Bonamine. If you get seasick even on the Bonamine, there's other steps you can take later and we're going to go over those as well. Excellent. Okay. Um, step two, uh, a lot of people buy, get gravel mm-hmm. and they start popping gravel. Gravel is a very temporary solution. Mm-hmm. A solution that lasts maybe six, seven, eight hours. Well, and I think it also has a little bit more side effects. I've actually, I, yeah. I have heard of people who have taken Gravol and that actually caused vomiting. That's true. 
And that's the same thing with me. I If I take gravel orally, mm-hmm. it does not sit well on my stomach, and it just makes it even more nauseous. Um, on the ship, if the sea state is really heavy and that, that bad, where I haven't been taking anything so far, because sometimes it creeps up on you. Sometimes you'll wake up one morning, and the ship will just be heaving. Um, I've gone to the dock and had a shot of gravel, uh, where they just inject it straight into you. That's fine. Interesting. That, and, and if that is an option for you, uh, and I don't even know if you can get gravel auto injectors i don't know if they have those on the cruise ships for people at the medical place I, and i don't know but i do know that most of the services at the medical bay at uh, the sick bay they charge you for and my understanding is it, it can be hefty uh so you, so you may want to avoid that yeah um so the the next step after that uh and this is really the, the big final step mm-hmm. is a scopolamine patch uh now what it is is it's a small patch only about this big very small, and you put it just in behind your ear uh, on on one side, you get two patches. Each patch lasts three days. Three, three days? Three wow. days, yeah. So you, you, you put it on, um, it's a sticky substance, uh, and you have to wash your hands thoroughly afterwards, because if you get that substance into your eye, it will dilate your pupils, so they'll be huge. Oh. Yes. So uh-huh. you want to avoid that, and it does say that in the instructions, hmm. but it will take away your feelings of nausea. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it takes a little while to take effect, but it's it's a pillow patch you put there, and it, and it works fine. Um, you do this side for three days, you do this side for three days, then you have to have a day break in between in between doses. Okay, so, so you can do one on each back-to-back, but before yep. you go back to the original site yep. that you put the first one, you have to have a day break. At least a day break between okay. between basically double-dosing and then double dosing. Do some of the benefits possibly last through that day? Is there sort of a buildup? Through most of the day. Okay. Through most of the day. There are going to be hours where you are not going to feel well hmm. during that day break. So you can mitigate that by lying down. Right. Right. Um, the thing with the scopolamine patch, uh, and you can see actually see one, uh, Mark Rober, who's a uh, another YouTuber, just did a video about... Uh, for Shark Week, about you know, can sharks really smell blood? There'll be a link in the description, and you can see that when he boards the ship, on the back of his ear, there's a small kind of skin-colored uh, round patch, and that's a scopolamine patch because clearly he does get seasick and probably gets seasick pretty bad. So that can be used. Should that be used preventatively or as treating symptoms? Uh, if you uh, both, okay. if you know that the seas are going to be bad, mm-hmm. then you can put it on say the night before. Okay. Uh, and you can wake up the next morning. Now, it does have a few side effects. The side effects that I experienced, mm-hmm. dry mouth. Okay. Super cottony mouth. Carry a bottle of water with you because it is a little bit dehydrating. Um, you won't be dehydrated because you're throwing up all the time. It just naturally dehydrates your mouth. Interesting. Um, yeah, so you constantly want to be wet in your whistle. Um, it also gives you kind of a almost, a, almost a sensation of surrealism. Oh, really? Yes, where you kind of feel a little weird because mm-hmm. you're feeling all these feelings inside you of, you know, things moving around and, okay. and the motion, and you're not getting the normal nausea uh, that, would go, along that, with that would go along with that. So your body thinks that's a little weird, and your mind thinks it's a bit weird. So you might be a little out of it, mm-hmm. but uh, like I said, I was in the Navy, and... You know, I've taken these, uh, I've taken scopolamine before many, many, many times, mm-hmm. and I'm able to 
fully function, fully work, okay. do my job, do my job in a combat scenario. Right. You know, where so it's it doesn't impair running. judgment. It doesn't, doesn't make you judgment. dizzy. Doesn't make you no. sleepy. Okay. For some people, it might make them dizzy. Okay. They, they might have a bit of um, uh, unease or, or maybe a bit of dizziness. Not like a crazy spinning bout of dizziness. Right. But just a, a general sense of of motion okay um for people that suffer from vertigo i think it's not recommended okay um because i think that enhances a vertigo sensation uh and you might find it different uh the cotton mouth effect might not affect you uh you might not get that same sense of uh of surrealism that i had and it's a good point to mention that we are not doctors we're just speaking from our personal experiences mm-hmm. your mileage may vary and these are just uh our thoughts these aren't yeah. formal recommendations <laughs> of any kind uh also for the cotton mouth thing um if you do have a bottle uh you can take it up to lido and there are many places where you can refill water if you are a vifp member of level red or above you should be getting a free one or one and a half liter bottle in your room of water and so after you've consumed that you can take it up to lido and refill it so that's a, that that could be an option to uh, address that dry mouth and always check with your doctor for, if you're taking any medications yeah for any kind of medication conflict uh with any of the things that we've mentioned here today yeah absolutely uh, so, uh, thinking uh, for non-medical solutions as mm-hmm. well, uh, some of the things that I've heard from cruise directors, and I've even mentioned here on this channel before, uh, I do have a video, I'll put a link to it in the description in an info card, where I actually balanced a penny on a, uh, on the one of the Carnival Fantasy class ships when it was going at its top speed, and it was able to stay up on its side. So, I mean, the ships can be generally really stable. They have stabilizing things that come out from the side underneath the water that you won't see that help the ships stay stable. Uh, so unless you're in rough seas, I find that they're very, very stable. And I, like I said, at full speed, I could balance a penny on its end. Um, but in that video, I also talk about the things that cruise directors have said uh, over the years about ways of addressing it uh, without medication. One thing that they recommend is uh, having a green apple. Uh, they say uh, helps uh, calm the stomach. Do you mm-hmm. would you would you uh, recommend that? I, I think I could agree with that. Yeah, I mean, remember everything here uh, may or may not work for you personally. Yeah, so, everyone's different. If, if a green apple works for you, fantastic. Eat sure. all the green apples. Eat tons of green apples left, right, center. Yeah. Uh, just make sure you drink water because green apples do have a tendency to suck uh, moisture from your mouth. Oh, interesting. So yeah. there's, that, that, there's that cotton mouth uh, effect again. Funny effect, uh, voice actors always use green apples just before they do any voice recordings uh, because it balances out their uh, vocal cords and system. Oh, and maybe they're not spitting on the microphone. <laughs> no, the microphone. <laughs> Good tip. We might want to do that on the podcast. Um, and you can often find green apples uh, at the buffet on Lido. Uh, and so sometimes they're just like little baskets or whatever inside the buffet that will have a bunch of apples on them. And so you can probably just go and grab them. One thing I have noticed is that if there is rough seas, those apples disappear quickly. So um, if you're someone who's prone to it and you want to have that additional option, uh, grabbing an apple early in your cruise and just keeping it in your cabin. If you are on a class of vessel that has a fridge, you could put it in the fridge. Um, but that's something that I, uh, that I know that Mike and Sam sometimes do is they'll grab some of the fruit uh, early in the cruise and then they'll have it in the cabin in case they smart, need it. Smart, smart, smart. Uh, one other thing I want to mention is what if you're one of the people that don't want to do anything medical at all? Yeah. You don't want to you know, eat green apples till you want, you want to power through it. Mm-hmm. Uh, one, you're a hero. <laughs> <laughs> I would never do that, uh, yeah, but it's terrible. So the one piece of advice I can give, and when I started to get in rough seas when I was in the Navy, is I would keep a garbage bag in my pocket. A plastic garbage bag, fold it up, uh, because if I do get seasick... Mm-hmm. I want someplace, and I don't want to have to fight for a bathroom. Yeah. I don't want to have to fight for uh, a garbage can, and I don't want to have to fight for the edge of the ship so I can throw a barbit, which is 
a terrible thing to do when you when you throw thrown up off the edge of the ship. Oh, it's, it gets bad. It gets really bad. And as somebody who frequently likes to have a balcony on a cruise ship, please don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> right. They do in the safety briefing talk about how you're not supposed to throw things uh, overboard except for a limited uh, list of things that are uh, allowed by maritime law. They don't tell you what's on that list. I'm not sure vomit qualifies in terms of uh, cruise ships, anyways. So uh, yeah, that's a good idea. And mm. also, I mean, if you do have to throw up and you don't have that preparation, there's no bathroom, there's no garbage, you don't have a bag. Uh, generally speaking, near the railings, there is a uh, sort of a little divot or whatever that goes the whole length of the ship. That um, uh, That's where the rainwater will go. So maybe do that instead of going overboard. Again, as somebody who really likes balconies <laughs> and might be out on a balcony below you, uh, that would be my request. Uh, another thing that we've heard um, cruise directors suggest over the years is to have a peanut butter and jam sandwich, which is something that you can get through room service or I believe at the MDR if you order off the kids menu, which adults are allowed to do. You just have to add. Um, but the yeah. reasoning behind that is that it tastes the same going in both directions. I'm not sure if it actually has a calming effect. Uh, uh, have you, have you I tried think, that? I think the bread probably would. Okay, uh, so it would like absorb acid yeah. and, and um, liquid. The, the peanuts would also give you some protein. Oh, okay, um, yeah. So that, that might have a balancing effect. Uh, as of Whether it tastes good going down or coming up, I don't have experience with that. <laughs> um, I can tell you, hamburger does. <laughs> So if you're at Guy's Burgers... Have a, have a burger. Uh, it's going yeah, to be fantastic. Uh, the other thing to keep in mind is if you are going to be throwing up, don't eat things that clump together. Hmm. Um, so if you're going to have crackers, don't have just crackers. Have crackers, some water, and like a piece of fruit or something like that. Okay. Uh, because crackers will clump together. Mm-hmm. And if you have to throw up one giant clump of cracker... It's going to be a terrible experience for you. You want something that's kind of broken up. You want something that's and so it's easier up. movement as a result. Um, the other thing I want to mention about it is if you are one who throws up a lot, uh, and this is going to start to get biological here, but you're going to notice that you're starting to throw up bright neon green liquid. The bile. Um, yeah, that's that's some of your stomach acid. Mm. Um, so don't be afraid of that. Uh, if you do throw up frequently, you may see some pink blood uh, in your throw up. That's going to be okay. You're not going to be, uh, you know, too hurt uh, because of that. Um, you know, you may throw up some clear mucusy stuff, which is a bit of your stomach lining, which regenerates very, very quickly. So you don't have oh. to worry about that. If you have to wait off. <laughs> if you throw up and there's bright red blood, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. bright red blood, mm-hmm. seek medical attention immediately. Okay. Um, anytime you have bright red blood coming from wherever, yeah, seek medical attention immediately. Again, this is casual advice for not medical professionals. That's we make true. no, we make no guarantees mm-hmm. or assumptions. Um, so that's good. And so it's interesting because one of the things that sometimes we hear from people is, you know, should you have an interior cabin or should you have like an ocean view or balcony? And I think seasickness can factor into that because again, if seeing the horizon can help you and you might think that being in an interior cabin where you can't see the horizon, you might end up making things worse, but for certain types, it might help. That's right. Uh, if you're one of the types that can see the horizon, get an outside room. If that helps you, if that helps you. If that's not going to help you, it doesn't matter. Save the uh, money. Be on the interior. The sure. You'll be able to uh, use, use that money to buy some bottomine or scopolamine. Sure. Absolutely. So, anyways, uh, hopefully that's helpful to you. Um, was there anything that you wanted to add? I don't know. I just had a I had a story about me being seasick once. Oh, story time. Let's yeah, do it. Yeah. So, like I said, I was in the Navy and we were doing exercises and seas were starting to get rough mm-hmm. and I was starting to not feel good. 
and we were doing a big battle drill, battle scenario. <laughs> um, so there I am. Nothing classified now. Nothing classified, <laughs> but, but fully kitted out. And we had what's called flash gear, which is, um, you see that a lot with firefighters, hmm. where they have the, the hood um, that kind of with, the, and it, their mask is over top of it. We didn't have masks, of course, but it's to prevent you from, um, you know, if, if fire flashes over you, it prevents, mm. you know, that, that flash over. So I call it flash gear. So I got this up, and it's around my nose and around my mouth, so already that's going to be great. And I'm, <laughs> and I'm wearing a headset, uh, you know, I got the mic right there, and I'm talking to other ships and things like that, and, you know, we're doing battle exercises, so I'm uh, on the microphone talking very, very fast, and I'm starting to feel really nauseous, and it's getting really bad. And I have my garbage bag out and hooked onto my console, um, ready to go, because <laughs> I know it's going to come eventually, uh, but I was hoping to get through the whole battle exercise. Uh, but I didn't. And there was one point where I'm like, talk, 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 stand by one, mic goes up, flash gear comes down, barf, 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 bag gets hooked back on, flash mask goes back up, mic comes down, continued talking. Wow. And my supervisor behind me was like, that's the most bad ass thing I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so I got some, I got some points for that. Nice. Uh, and then afterwards, I got to go down to my rack to lay down because uh, it was I was off shift, and thank God because I needed to sleep and I needed to lay down, which made me feel, of course, better. <laughs> All right. All right, good points, both of you. Well covered. <laughs> A little self-serving of me to say, I suppose. Anyways, we're back from that clip. Uh, so just talking about some other uh, topics we've got lined up here. What are some strategies for making air travel more enjoyable? So I think a lot of people are um, not necessarily prepared for flights as well as they could be, depending on how many times they fly before. Um, and so a couple of key things that I recommend is, for one thing, bring gum. If you chew gum during takeoff and landing, that will help with ear popping pressure issues. So you'll feel physically more comfortable. And in line with that, I recommend not having earbuds or headphones in during those massive pressure changes because that just complicates matters one step further. So for something like that, if you have a app on your phone, a game you could play that does not require internet connection at all uh, and chew gum, nothing in the ears, that's my recommendation for you know takeoff and landing for physical comfort. Um, beyond that, the real key to it, and I've said this before, but I can't say it enough, is be responsible for your own entertainment. There might not be a monitor in the seat in front of you. There might not be entertainment on the, on the, uh, the airplane. You could do all the research in the world and look at, oh, you know, it's a 747 or, you know, Airbus or whatever. And I, these, these, these are the things it has, but then they could swap out the plane on you. You don't know. So take responsibility for your own entertainment. If that means bringing Sudoku or a magazine, that's fine. Uh, for me, uh, it's about using the Pocket Cast app for Android and having podcast downloaded once you're at cruising altitude, 10,000 feet and above. Um, that's when I pop in the earbuds, listen to a podcast. You can listen to the Vacation Impossible podcast on your next flight if you would like. Happy to make your flight hopefully a little easier, go a little faster, be a bit more entertaining. Um, additionally, uh, I'll bring my tablet and I'll have some shows or movies or whatever on there. Maybe I'll write a blog post uh, while I'm up in the air. So, um, I think those are some of the keys, and it's really just about having the right kind of attitude. You could think, yeah, I'm stuck in this flying box. 
that doesn't have enough leg room, doesn't have enough arm, you know, arm space, armrest space and all these other things. And, you know, uh, you know, maybe I'm just going to get some bad peanuts or cookies and, you know, oh, only the small pop is free. And, you know, there's a lot of negative you could choose to focus on and you're just going to make yourself miserable. So we don't recommend doing that. We talk about this a lot. You know, choose happiness whenever you can and go with the right attitude. This is time where you're not going to be interrupted by a phone call. You're not going to have to deal with, I don't know, Twitter nonsense. You're, you know, um, you're, you're maybe restricted in some senses, but it's also a bit of an opportunity. It's a little time to think, a little time for yourself. Uh, and so be prepared to take some maximum advantage of it and have some options. And so I bring a podcast and something to watch on my tablet and some games and some other things digitally that don't take up space or weight uh, and are easy to access. And then, you know, it's how the mood strikes me. Maybe I'm inspired to write a blog post. Maybe I just feel like playing the game on my phone the whole time. Whatever it is, take responsibility for your own entertainment. And if there are other things, if you're on a virgin flight, you want to chat to somebody, you know, because they, they have those little um, things in the armrest that actually have a keyboard on it. You can chat to other seats if you want on virgin flights. Cool. You know, um, you know, maybe there'll be something that you might want to watch and go right ahead. Stay flexible, but don't rely on it. Don't count on the airline to provide the entertainment for you uh, is, is a big thing that I advise. If you're traveling with children, uh, earbuds and headphones uh, and some age appropriate things to watch on it on a tablet or a laptop or a phone. is a very good idea. Um, you know, maybe bring activities for them to do stuff like that. Uh, but, you know, try and be prepared to to keep them entertained as well, uh, to help them deal with any anxiety they might have about flying as well, to distract them from that. Um, which segues quite nicely into the, the, the next uh, topic, which is how to overcome a fear of flying. Now, I am not a professional uh, in regards to psychology or any of the other things here. I don't, I don't deal in phobias. This is not anything I'm trained for. Uh, so with that massive caveat, this is just some advice from a guy who travels a bit. Um, one thing that I have read about and I have tried and seems to work, just from my personal experience, a little empirical data for you, um, is let's say you run into some turbulence and you're fe feeling some anxiety. This is going to sound crazy, but try it. Actually say out loud, this is fun. I know it's, it sounds weird, right? Um, but I like I don't generally suffer from anxiety with regards to flying, partly because I do it so much. Um, but every now and then, there's some turbulence, and you just get a little worried, and you're, you go to a dark place in your head. And so I think of um, Star Trek VI, where the ship is under attack and it's shaking, and McCoy's grabbing onto a bulkhead. He says, "This is fun," you know, and he's being sarcastic and I think critical of his captain in that moment. But you know, I just do my best in McCoy impression. But the the vocalization of saying "This is fun." Um, it, 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 I think it has a relaxing impact. And, you know, they say the, your focus determines your reality. You, you focus on the negative possible outcomes or are you going to focus on the positive? I'm an amusement park guy. I love a good ride. A roller coaster, hook me up. Uh, water parks, go down the slide. It's all great. So turbulence has some similar physiological sensation. Why do I feel fear and terror in one case and, like, enjoyment in another? So try to realize the similarities and, you know, you can you can mentally kind of say this is fun, this is fun, but actually just saying it once out loud, um, I think kind of helps. Uh, so, you know, let me know if you agree. If you're in turbulence or you take off and landing and someone next to you says that, how does that affect you? Uh, to me, it's a positive, but other people might not appreciate it. I honestly don't know. I'm curious. But that's something to, uh, I think, try if it's something that you struggle with or in that moment. You can think back, what was that crazy Vacation Impossible guy talking about? Oh, this is fun. Just try it. The worst is you'll see you'll see them a little bit nuts, but you know if you're in white knuckle terror, you're probably not at your greatest at that moment anyway. So give it a shot. I don't think it can cause much harm.
And again, distraction is fine. So if it's takeoff and landing, having a mobile game that doesn't require data can be quite good. A little Angry Birds, a little Balls, a little, uh, you know, a pandemic, Ticket to Ride, something like that on your phone. That can be that can be great. Uh, something to get your eyes focused on something else, your mind working towards something hopefully positive or fun, distracting in some way. That's all uh, positive. Uh, if it's turbulence that happens once you're at cruising altitude, again, having a podcast to listen to, perhaps my dulcet tones can help you get through that. <laughs> um, if they can, great that, that's lovely i'm happy to help uh or you know you can have um something to watch you can have something downloaded you know if you have youtube premium uh you can download youtube videos in advance and then watch them later on uh, many devices so that might be an option for you um there's a lot of different things so uh but actually you know vocalizing a positive message of an affirmation uh these things might sound a little crazy but uh, if you give them a try they seem to have a positive impact it costs you nothing to give it a shot so that's my thought on that. Um, and speaking of fear, we've lightly touched on this before, but honestly, I think fear is the enemy of travel. And I have been a victim of it as much as anyone. Um, I haven't been to Asia because I don't speak the languages at all. And it's so far away and it's so different that I'm a little fearful. Not going to lie. I, I, I would like to go to Asia someday. And that's a new thing for me to say, because I've, I've largely said, oh, no, I have no interest. But, you know, I'm thinking, like, I want to go to Thailand. That'd be kind of cool. Maybe Japan. That'd be all right. Is it, you know, Singapore? Something? There's, there's some places in Asia that um, I'm warming to the idea of traveling to. I think that if I were to do it, I would like to go with someone who's been there before. Um, but that's how I'm managing my fear. Because I have to acknowledge that, yeah, it's my fear that I wouldn't be able to function due to the language barriers and cultural differences. Um and so I'm doing these podcasts and I'm talking in these videos about how, like, you know, don't let fear hold you back. And yet I'm kind of was a little hypocritical there. I was letting fear hold me back. So um, I think that's something that I would like to conquer at some point, you know, go to places I haven't been, but like beyond North America. We've been very North America focused on this channel since 2010 because um, we've only done two trips to Europe, 2005 and 2010. Other than that, it's been North America pretty much all the time. So I would like to get to Australia. I would like to get to Asia uh, at some point. Maybe within the next year to one of those would be nice. If life circumstances allow for it, I would very much like to do that. Um, and so, but that's the thing is like, how much does fear, take a moment and ask yourself, be honest with yourself. Take a moment of honesty and be like, what am I afraid of doing? Particularly with regards to travel, because that's what we're all about here. But if it's something else, you know, telling that person you like them, applying for that promotion, whatever it might be, how much is fear holding you back? And are you benefiting from doing that at all? Is it really keeping you safe? Or is it just preventing you from having experiences that could equip you to solve problems in the future? You might actually be giving yourself a disadvantage by staying within your comfort zone. So having some rational... Fear, I suppose, is, is a fine word, but some, taking rational precautions to protect yourself, that's fine. You know, we've talked about how safe is places like Belize and Cozumel in the past, and we give you some advice, and some of it is based around protecting yourself. So be practical, absolutely. Um, but I just really like, is the fear holding you back? Are you drawing the line in the right place? I don't know. I think even for myself, with all of the travel that I've been doing, I may have been drawing the line in the wrong place, and I want to move it. I want to expand it a little bit, push it a little bit further. Um, and if we can help you in any way, 
if there's a place you want to go, maybe we've been or we know something about, feel free, send us an email, team at vacationimpossible.ca. Reach out to us on Twitter, at vacayimpossible. If you're watching this on YouTube, comment below. Um, what are What is something that you think you might want to do, but fear is kind of holding you back? And what is the fear? Is it fear of being the victim of a crime or an accident? Or is it like me that I just thought maybe I wouldn't be able to function? I don't know. Um, but if we can help you, because the enemy fear, the enemy of fear is information. In the absence of genuine information, people will imagine the worst almost every single time. And the human mind is so powerful. And our imaginations are so powerful. And fear uses that power against us, where we imagine the worst, the craziest stuff. Which in the moment, it doesn't feel crazy, and I appreciate that. It feels tangible and terrifying. I get it. I really do. I've struggled it with you know, struggled with it myself. It wasn't until 2013, you know, when I met some people when traveling that really kind of inspired me to expand my boundaries as well. You know, in 2013 was when I started going to places like um, you know, Jamaica, for example. And, you know, if you read about Kingston, there's tons of things to be afraid of in Jamaica. We weren't on that part of the island the few times I've been. Um, but that was sort of a, a thing where I just, like, I met some people, uh, I, you know, I met somebody who was just so incredibly brave uh, when it came to that. And that's a weird word, I think, sometimes to use when, when travel, because travel is enjoyment, right? You're having fun. But there's it takes a little bravery. Let's acknowledge that. Let's just call it what it is. It does take a little bit of bravery to go somewhere you've never been. And so... That inspired me to start expanding my horizons, and that's how I ended up going to places like Cozumel and Costa Maya and the Bahamas and Grand Cayman and Grand Turk and just so many places that I probably wouldn't have been. Belize, you know, I joke that I traveled to get rid of my, geograph my, my geographic ignorance. If you had asked me 10 years ago where Belize is, I probably would have guessed Europe and I would have been comically wrong. Uh, for the record, it's, you know, sort of in the Caribbean, uh, the, you know, the east coast of uh, Mexico, basically. It's another country just east of Mexico. Um, and so I've been there a couple of times. And um, I just, I couldn't be more glad that I did that. I'm so glad that I ran into, you know, people and, and someone to inspire me to expand my horizons a little bit. So if there's any chance that I can pay that forward and, and help other people increase their comfort, answer their questions, or maybe just ask ask you like what are you afraid of that's holding you back and how reasonable is it uh and, and like i said information is the enemy of fear and so we're here to tell you and maybe to show you in our videos as well um that you can walk around cozumel and it'll be fine and it's not a guarantee or anything but odds are it's going to be fine so uh you know hey I am uh, as much a coward as anyone when it comes to these things. And I push myself just a little bit and it works out almost every single time. And um, in retrospect, I feel a little silly. You know, I was afraid of Cozumel. I was afraid for my life in Cozumel, just walking around a rundown part of town. And then after I came home, I did research and realized there's virtually no violent, there's virtually no violent crime on that island. I had nothing to be afraid of. My anxiety was up for no good reason. And so the information, the next time I'm in Cozumel, walking around, I'm more relaxed and more comfortable. I'm having more fun. And I'm getting, as a result, more value out of the money I've spent on my travel. So, you know, um, be safe, be practical, but maybe every now and then reevaluate where you're drawing that line, you know? Uh, and 
that's kind of, I don't know, it's a rant, uh, or you could call this proselytizing or whatever, uh, getting a little preachy, but it's just looking back over what I've done over the years, the few times that I've decided to be brave, to, you know, talk to that person who I thought was out of my league, you know, to, to go to that place that I thought I, you know, might not do great in, um, it, I, I look back and I smile. You can see it on my face if you're watching this on YouTube. I look back on those moments and I feel pride and I smile. I feel a little embarrassed that it took me so long. Um, but really just have a little faith. Do some research. We're here to help as much as we can. Um, but, it, you know, maybe that's another sort of challenge I can issue, a Vacation Impossible challenge. Because I would like to commit to, and I don't know that I can, but I'm going to try sometime in the next year to do something new, something I've never done before. I mean, I'm on the tail end of a 17-day road trip, most of which were places I've never been. Um, but I, I, you know, I want to keep it going. So something starting, you know, in two days' time for like the next year, I want to, well, I want to find one place that legitimately scares me a little, and go there, Australia, Asia, I don't know, something, uh, and. If you can join me in that and challenge yourself, go somewhere you've never been before. It might just be the most amazing thing you've ever found. Might not. One of the reasons I travel is I like to see uh, different ways of living, um, you know, different cultures, things like that. And part of it is completely selfish. And it's not just entertainment value. It's so that what if, what if their speed of life suits me better? What if they have a way of doing things that I could adopt? that I could use, that I could consider. It might just give me a perspective. It could be like, wow, the small town is really small. You know, uh, if I make a mistake, everyone knows and they never forget. So I'm super glad I live in a big town. That's just, that's reaffirming that I've made good choices for myself. That's not bad. Or it could be like, hey, you know what? The speed of life, you know, in Iowa or wherever, it's a little slower, a little bit more space. Maybe that's what I want. I don't know. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's nice to gain perspective, you know, and also 17 days without all of my stuff back home makes me realize that I can do very well without my stuff back home, except my editing computer. I need that to get videos out for you fine people. So anyways, that's my scree <laughs> about fear, uh, is to just, um, don't, don't give it all the power, you know, um, don't let it, don't let it hold you back from having wonderful experiences. Your next, you know, great adventure, your next great romance, your next great job, career choice, whatever it is. Um, protect yourself, be safe, be reasonable, but don't let fear hold you back. Uh, and so anywhere you can get a reality check on that, um, you know, it could be doing research about something or honest, asking a friend or a loved one for an honest opinion, uh, just talking about it. Sometimes talking about it makes a difference. Saying it out loud, saying I was afraid of being murdered in Cozumel I hear myself say those things and I'm like, yeah, okay. Now that I hear it out loud, maybe wasn't so reasonable. Um, so don't be, don't be afraid of your fear. Protect yourself, but push your boundaries. One thing that people are sometimes hesitant of, fearful of, is traveling by themselves. I was. You know, I didn't want to be the sad guy eating by himself in a restaurant and everybody being like, well, I guess his date didn't show, you know. I mean, I don't know these people. I shouldn't care so much about what they think. But, um, you know, solo travel, I think, can be really good, too. Uh, I think people should spend some time and live on their own. Some people go directly from living with their parents to being married uh, and they never spend time living on their own. I think that's incredibly valuable. What you do when you're alone for an extended period, I think, is how you discover yourself. Because, yeah, okay, you get like a day, you get a week, you know, here and there, whatever. Um, depending on how busy you are and what you're doing with your time, you might just be getting to your to-do list. But it's when you have free time, no obligations, 
Uh, what do you do with that free time when it could be pretty much anything? What do you watch? What do you, you know, do you play a, a video game? Uh, you know, who do you call? What do you eat when it doesn't impact anyone else? The decision is only between like you, your bank account, and your God, <laughs> basically. Uh, you know, okay, I'm going to I'm gonna binge watch this TV show, or I'm going to do some exercise, or I'm going to go for a walk, or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call someone I care about because I haven't spoken to them in a while. Um, but it's like, you're making a decision and it's not like, oh, if I binge watch the show, am I going to keep somebody up? Uh, or, the, or, you know, oh, I'm binge watching the show. I'm not doing the dishes. Am I get you know, is my roommate going to hate me for that? You know, or, oh, should I be spending time with my spouse, uh, you know, instead of vacuuming or like you get rid of a lot of those trade-offs and then it just becomes about what you do with your time when you're the only one being affected. And I think that's a big part of how we discover who we are. In our modern world, first world problem, admittedly, we have so many options for entertainment. And thank you for you know joining us here at Vacation Impossible. It means a lot. Um, but there's a million other channels you could be watching on YouTube, You know, uh, probably 100,000 other podcasts. You could be doing virtually anything with your time. Uh, and maybe you're multitasking. Maybe you're listening to us while you clean your house or driving your commute every day. In which case, you know, go do the thing and be awesome. But... Um, what you do when it affects no one but you, I think is an ultimate experience of discovery, of self-discovery. And so solo travel is a good way to do that, especially if maybe you already have, you know, you could be living with your, your spouse or your family or, you know, whatever your situation is that, you know, living on your own isn't practical. Uh, you know, it's not right for the stage of, you know, uh, your life, but, um, what about just taking a trip for yourself, by yourself, a trip by yourself for yourself? Because they have to go hand in hand. You know, don't do it for someone else. Don't do it for work. I mean, you know, if you have to. But I'm talking about something that's not for work and it's not necessarily for a specific function, for recording for your YouTube channel. Um, you know, I've taken some solo trips. I've taken some solo train trips from Vancouver to Portland. Uh, and that was a lovely experience. Uh, and it's nice. You know, you're on the train by yourself. You're listening to whatever music you feel like. You take a nap. You think your thoughts. You look out the window. You see the world. Um, and you're not trying to be witty. You're not trying to entertain the person sitting next to you. It's just you and your thoughts and what you enjoy. And that's a good thing, I think. And then I get to Portland. It's like, where do I eat? Do I want to go to Panda Express? Do I want to go, you know, to McDonald's? Do I want to go to wherever? Um, it's not going to affect anyone. No one but me. So the choice has to be all about me. It has to come from me. And that's and so when you are surrounded by 20 options and you have to consider the effect of four other people and everyone's like, I don't know, what do you want? I don't know what you want. I don't know what you want. And they're all being so polite, which is maybe a Canadian problem, maybe an Indiana problem. Um, but at some point you have to be like, well, what do I want? Maybe you're not being asked that often by your family, your spouse, your friends, whatever. And no fault to them. It could just be the way that, you know, people don't have time. Uh, they get caught up in their own stuff and that's all fine. Um, but every now and then someone's like, well, what do you want? And I hadn't even been thinking about what I wanted. I was just thinking about what would, what would be peaceful. You know, what would make everybody else happy? You know, the pleaser thing, whatever. Uh, and every now and then somebody says, well, what do you want? And I'm taking it back. I'm like, oh God, I didn't even, I didn't even think about what I wanted. And so there's almost that loss of self sometimes. And so I go back to, well, what did I do when I lived on my own? What did I do when I was traveling by myself? Because that was clearly something I liked, you know, uh, especially if you did it more than once. I tried Panda Express. It was okay. I didn't go back. Do I really love Panda Express? Probably not, you know, uh, but other things, you know, um, you know, I, I go to a Hard Rock Cafe. In fact, that's probably the one place I would dine alone because they're just so awesome. I wouldn't feel bad about it because the vibe there is just so welcoming accepting and friendly love all serve all is what they say and they live that that motto 
So uh, I also took a solo cruise, the $24 cruise, where I flew to LAX and took a four-day sail on the Imagination to Ensenada and Catalina. Do I get off the ship? What do I do when I get off the ship? Well, I walked around Catalina. So I know, and I've done that many times. I'm like, I like walking around Catalina. Made a video about it. Um, you know, what did I do in Ensenada? I went to what was then my favorite restaurant, Tacos del Sol, which is unfortunately closed. My favorite Ensenada restaurant. Um, you know, and, and I walked around and I enjoyed doing that. And so I know, okay, going and grabbing a bite in Ensenada is a thing I like to do. Because I would do it again, and I have done it again. Um, so, you know, dining with strangers at the uh, main dining room, MDR, on a cruise ship. I did that many times when I was on my uh, my solo cruise. And so, you know, if I'm on a cruise and somebody says, hey, do you want to eat with strangers today? If I'm not certain, I'm like, well, you know what? When I was by myself, I enjoyed it a lot. So, yeah, I think I do. So, you know, that's, that's great. Um, and so some tips for solo cruisers. I think is to bring entertainment and things like that. So maybe you don't feel alone if you're getting a little homesick or feeling a little lonely. Uh, you know, some good music, some things to watch, a game to play on your electronic device is good. Uh, if you're on a cruise, I do recommend um, dining with strangers in the main dining room. Even if that's the only thing you do outside your cabin the whole time, it's good to get out. It's good to talk to people. Uh, everyone else there is of a somewhat similar mindset because they've all chosen to eat with strangers. So you already have a few things in common. You're all on the same cruise going to the same places at the same time. Those are some choices you made. If you're looking for conversation topics, there are a few. Hey, why'd you pick this cruise? What are you looking forward to in Ensenada? What, what was your favorite cruise? What's your next cruise? You know, And that's one of the things I really like about cruising is because you've got these things that you can talk to anyone about. You could be in line at you know the buffet and you could probably turn to anyone and say like, hey, so what do you like about Ensenada? We're going there tomorrow. What are you doing? few people are going to be like, don't talk to me, crazy person. They're going to be like, oh, hey, yeah, no, I'm going to take the 10 best tour or whatever. I'm going to the blowhole or whatever they're doing. Um, and so you still get that interaction with other people, which is good for sanity. <laughs> there are studies that show that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think, I think solo travel can be very important. And I think it's something everybody should do a little of. And, um, but also part of it is, uh, you know, remain social, remain friendly, opening to meeting new people and having new experiences. Um, and, uh, you know, of course, look after your safety, uh, of course. One thing we've been asked about is traveling in large groups. So um, what was my best large group traveling experience? I would have to say large group is like more than four people, let's say, for the purposes of argument. And so I flew to uh, Miami and there was a group of eight or nine of us that sailed on the Carnival Breeze. It was my second ever cruise. Uh, and that was great. Um, people were taking different flights to get there, staying at different hotels, but we all got on the cruise ship. We met on Lido, we had some lunch. And uh, I think cruises are great for large group travel because you have a plethora of opinions, of personalities, of people in different spots in their life or energy level in their day, in different moods, whatever. And so when you get up to like 10 people on a cruise, you'll probably find someone who wants to do whatever you want to do with you. And also then people can kind of pick and choose. Like, oh, I don't want to go. But if you don't go, I can't go. Ugh. Now you're going for obligation. It's your vacation. You shouldn't have to do that. Uh, and so I think for large group travel, cruises is great. Some of the, the challenges of traveling in a larger group in, that's not a cruise, uh, especially if you're all kind of sharing an itinerary, and I've done this before, where I've done all the planning for a group of people, and I send everybody the itinerary, and then they don't read it. And so then they're constantly asking, what's next? And I'm like, well, I don't know any better than you. It's on the itinerary. So I have to look up the itinerary for them, and now I'm their secretary. And that's not fun. 
Uh, and so that doesn't really happen on the cruise because everybody's got the app, everybody's got the fun times, and they can just decide for themselves. They don't have to turn to one singular person to plan everything for them. Uh, and so that's why I think that works a little bit better. Um, you know, keeping everybody happy in a large group where we all stay at the same hotel, we all go to the same show, you know, on the same flight, go to the same place for dinner. Um, there's a lot of questions. Why are we here? What, what, you know, and I mean, hey, it could be coming from a fine place. They might not be questioning you in that sense. It could be like, why did you pick this, you know, this crap hole place it could be like oh hey like you picked it for a reason is there a dish i should try is there something i should order is like what are they famous for hey we're at pappy's smokehouse what should i get like it could be enthusiastic um but those questions come up a lot and so for the the, the person who did the planning you know it can get a little bit much over time it can feel a little grating so um i do recommend for large groups doing things where you can have team splits so, for example, in Paris, uh, you know, I went off with Mindy to do one thing. John and Josh went off to do their own thing. We met later that day, uh, and that worked out quite well. And so having that kind of flexibility built into anything that is large group travel is, I think, essential. Because sometimes people, you know, they wake up and they're like, ugh. Like, um, I think we had gotten boys to men tickets in Las Vegas, and I think we had gotten one for Tasha. She woke up that day just not feeling great, stomach bug or something. Uh, and so thankfully, I think Sam was able to use her ticket. We all had to find time. Um, but had we not had enough like diversity in the group that somebody was able to take that, that ticket would have gone to waste. And she probably would have felt guilty for it and all this kind of stuff, but instead somebody else got to enjoy it, so everybody won, and that's fine. Uh, and so those are some of the challenges of large group travel. Uh, and that's why cruises, I think, are really good for that because it takes a lot of that pressure off and people can just do what they want. And hey, maybe I'll see you at dinner. Maybe I won't. It's, it's fine. It's cool. I'll see you somewhere. It'll happen. Uh, I think that's good. Um, so the story of Vacation Impossible. Where did it all begin? This is the eight, you know, sort of the 18th anniversary of us starting this whole crazy adventure. So the story goes like this. When I was growing up, me and many of my friends kind of grew up in poverty. We were on, you know, welfare, social assistance, whatever you would call it. And then through education, our parents got jobs or better paying jobs. And then we went to university or wherever after, you know, high school. Um, and so through basically one generation, we pulled ourselves out of poverty. Why am I telling you this? How does that relate to travel? Well, the thing was, for the first time in our lives, we were having disposable income. And I wanted to see the world. And so did some others, people like John, wanted to see the world. And to many of our compatriots, whatever you want to call them, family, friends, people in a similar situation, I think because of their economic upbringing and background, they had trouble justifying the expense. That's so much money, so much money. Like, I remember having this debate before we went to Europe in 2005. I very much wanted to go to Rome, Paris, and London. And I was traveling with uh, my family, and they were like, and they, they, thankfully, they gave me an opportunity to kind of make a sales pitch on it. Uh, just a little shy of a PowerPoint. <laughs> um, I felt like I was going to try and sell them like a vacuum cleaner or something, like I was a salesman of old, a little Amway in the living room kind of thing. Um, but the idea was is that they, they saw that this was some of the most expensive places we could go. And so they were like, well, why do you want to do that? And I mean, there might've been some assumptions like you just know those places, you see them on television, whatever. And so I did a bunch of research and um, there's this line from a movie I really enjoy, You've Got Mail, where uh, it's, a, it's a bookstore and someone's buying a book and it, and it turns out to be more expensive than they expect. And they say like, oh, you know, it's a first edition, it's very old, here's some of the history. And he goes, oh, that's why it costs so much. And the clerk says, and I love this, no, that's why it's worth so much. I love that. That's why it's worth so much. Uh, 
And so that's what I was trying to explain uh, in, in that case. It's like, here's the things you can see in Rome. Here's the things you can see in Venice. Here's the things in Paris and London. And yes, they cost more because they're worth so much. And we ended up doing all four of those things. Uh, and it was absolutely lovely. But going back even further than that, because that was 2005, we're going further back, further back, further back, 2001, even convincing someone to go on a road trip to Seattle, to Edmonton, my friends, uh, you know, it was hard to convince them. They didn't see the value in it. And so we started, John and I, recording our road trips because we wanted other people to come along. We wanted our friends to come with us to share in the experience, to have the fun with us. Um, and we, you know, honestly, I was a little concerned that they were narrowing their options because of fear, bit of a theme there. Um, and so I thought, okay, if we show them all the fun that we're having, if maybe we show them how to do it a little smarter, uh, if they can see it visually, to visualize themselves there, to kind of like, hey, I was going to totally just capitalize on FOMO right? Like now you've seen my video, you know what you're going to be missing out on. Are you sure you don't want to come on this trip? You sure you don't want to book that cruise? You sure you don't want to come on this road trip? You know, it's a little bit of that, maybe a little manipulative, but I think it was all about expanding people's horizons. I like, uh, Stephen Merchant always says, travel broadens the mind. And I completely agree with that. Uh, it gives you perspective, new ideas, try new foods, new fun. It's so fantastic. Um, but it was hard to justify because these were people who were used to living sort of hand to mouth. And it was like, you know, oh, I've got to, you know, I, if, if I have some savings, I got to build that up in case of an emergency. And that's very practical. And I don't want to say anything bad about that because you need to do that. What, the ideal way of traveling is where you travel and you still continue to build your savings as you do it. Some people live to travel. They work just long enough to pay for their next trip. And then, you know, and hey, if that's your modus operandi and you're brave enough to do that, all the more power to you. Um, I, I, you know, people have accused me that because I'm a Virgo, I'm not okay with that degree of uncertainty. And hey, whatever you want to, you know, blame it on uh, or assign cause to. Um, but for me, uh, I like the idea of like, you know, okay, yeah, I could be growing my savings faster if I wasn't traveling so much. But as long as they're still growing and I'm not dipping into them, then I'm okay. You're okay. You're going to be okay. Let's see the world. You only get one life. If you keep saying I'm going to travel later and later and later, and then you break your hip or something else happens. So I'm not saying go into debt. That's the last thing I'm saying. But we wanted to show people that you could travel without going into debt while continuing to build your savings, have fun and save money along the way. And so that's why we all started this back in 2001. We recorded on high eight. And um, we, I digitized it on my computer of the day. I had to get a capture card to capture the video. And I had to capture the audio separately and then sync them up. It frames like, uh, the resolution was like 144 frames tall, our first season. We went up to like 210, our second season. Uh, and then like, you know, the equipment has evolved over the years. Uh, our knowledge has expanded over the years. I've got my microphone, I've got my tablet, I've got my camera. You know, I started using, using a DSLR. Uh, starting a year ago, February for the first time. We're still in the process. Like I was recently just testing a lavalier microphone uh, that actually didn't work very well. Uh, I still have a couple ideas on how I can test it. I'm not sure, it, maybe it works with certain devices, but on my phone, it did not work. Uh, this particular Pop Voice PV510 Plus lavalier microphone did not work. It was much less quality than my phone was picking up on its own. But you know, we try these things out so that maybe you don't have to, you can save some money and jump to the end. Um, but that's, you know, where, where it began was that it was, I wanted to see the world and I needed to show the value in it to people who weren't used to having large disposable income or, you know, travel level disposable income. Once you reach a basic subsistence level for yourself and you can support yourself, 
there, I think there needs to come a moment where you expand your horizons and your traveling experiences and you look outside and you're like, what do I want to do? And so I was trying to help people get over that um, so that they don't end up regretting it. I mean, you know, do you, how many people on their deathbed said, oh, I wish I hadn't traveled so much? Maybe if they're if they have a massive debt or something, or they you know caught a disease somewhere or something, I suppose. But I don't think it's likely. I don't think it's common. I think most people like. I think that you know, if and when my time comes and I'm aware of it, I think I'm going to be like, you know what? I saw a lot and I did a lot and it was pretty awesome. The majority of it was great, uh, and I, I I regret almost none of my travel. And so I think that's a common experience, and so I want people to try. If they try it and they hate it, maybe they don't like it. Hey, that's fine. You know, whatever works for you. Um, but that's why we do this. So what does success, and, and people have asked me this before, what does su success look like for Vacation Impossible? Would it be having a million subscribers on YouTube? That'd be pretty awesome. That'd be a milestone. Uh, hell, 10,000 would be amazing. Uh, is it about having a million views on YouTube? Yeah, that'd be cool. I'd love to get my content out there and have maybe be able to help and inspire that many people. Uh, those numbers are all impressive. You know, make a little money off the thing. That would be cool. That'd be amazing. Get some free products, maybe, you know, for some free travel or something. All of that would be great. Uh, I recently heard that there is a thing called TravelCon. If I was invited to be there, if I could give a speech, maybe one day give a keynote at some sort of convention, that would all be amazing. A public speaking career coming out of this would be great. Uh, all that would be fun. But none of that would matter as much as the times where we get a comment that says something like, I never thought of trying this, but because of your video I did and I loved it. We hear from people who are saying, like, I was taking an Uber in Indianapolis to go to Gen Con. John had gone way early in the morning. I wanted to sleep in. So I took an Uber to get there that morning. And I'm talking to the guy. Uh, and he's like, oh, what do you do? You know, talking about Vacation Impossible. And he says, yeah, I'm, I'm getting close to paying off my mortgage. And my whole life I've wanted to travel. But honestly, I'm not sure I can afford it. And I was a little afraid of it. Um, but I always said, once I pay off my mortgage, I'm going to start traveling. And he says, in a year, I'm going to have that thing paid off. I don't know what to do next. And I was like, here's our card. I can help. <laughs> not because I'm selling anything. I mean, I'm not selling anything. I'm selling an experience, an idea of, uh, you know, travel in general. You know, I'm not selling a product. <laughs> um, although we do have a t-shirt if you want. Teespring, check it out. <laughs> uh, but it's really about if, 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 uh, and I've had some people say, like, I haven't, I haven't traveled in five years. I watched one of your videos and I've got the bug and I'm on my way to Vegas or something like that. Those things. That's that's what it's about. That's why we're here. Um, that's what success looks like to Vacation Impossible is inspiring your next trip uh, or inspiring you to just try something different, an excursion you hadn't considered, something, a restaurant you hadn't thought of, um, something a little different. If, if we help save you some money, we get comments like that sometimes. Someone's like, you just saved me $85. That's $85 that you're going to have in your savings. It's $85 you might spend on something else, an excursion or go do something else. Uh, that is why we are here. That's what makes everything worthwhile. That's why I'm talking to you fine people instead of out hanging out at the mall or whatever I'd be doing playing video games, I guess. Uh, that is that is the crux of it. And we've had some of that experience right here on the channel with some of our members. Like I, I like to call Vacation Possible an ensemble show. We've got a lot of people. You've seen, you know, Burton and John and Mindy and different folks. Um, there's Sam. When I was talking to Sam in 2011, I had gotten my first job that had paid vacation time. And it actually has a minimum where if you don't take it, you get in trouble. It's like a mental wellness thing, which I think is fantastic. And so I was trying to find somebody to travel with because uh, most of my friends were unable to due to scheduling or money issues at the time. Uh, and so Sam was one of the people I was trying to contact uh, to see if he wanted to travel. 
And he told me that he he said vacations suck. He said he said vacations are stupid. It's a waste of money. I don't do that. And I said, tell me more. And so he told me about a time where he went to Vegas and he had a bad experience. I don't want to you know violate any confidences or anything, but he had a bad time. Uh, and so he had basically given up on the whole concept of travel. And so I convinced him to go back to Vegas in 2011 with me because I needed to take a week. And I, I think I kind of guilted him a little bit. Uh, maybe I sold him a little on it. I don't know. I think I was like, come on, man, if you don't go, I can't go. So come on. You know, that might not have been the best approach. But the fact is he came. And uh, one of the things I love is the Hard Rock Cafe. You heard me talk about it before. As soon as we landed, I took him to the Hard Rock Cafe. He'd never been to one before, so I made sure to buy him his meal. That's what I like to do. It's like, oh, it's your first time here. I'll buy your meal. On this trip, John had never had uh, steak and shake before. Took him to a steak and shake. I made sure I bought his first meal. Well, I'm going to have a positive experience because I love those things. I want to share it. Uh, and we had so much fun. We did a bunch of stuff. Uh, you know, we rented a car. We were listening to Jelly, which was a great radio station at the time. Um... And, uh, you know, I think we went up to the Grand Canyon and we saw some shows. I think we saw um, uh, one of the dance groups or something. We saw a lot. Of, we saw and we did a lot of stuff. And we had a lot of fun. Uh, and as you have seen ever since, Sam has been on a lot of adventures with us. And he's taken a lot of his own adventures, too. And this year, I believe he's taking a Pan Pacific cruise on, I think, the Carnival Breeze that will take him all the way to Singapore. And he's doing a bunch of stuff in Asia afterwards. Uh, Sam is a great success story for me. Sam, if you're listening, I hope I'm not misrepresenting anything, but man, you are why I do this. <laughs> to, to take someone from vacations are stupid to now he's taking vacations so epic. I'm incredibly jealous. <laughs> I wish I was doing what he was doing. Um, that's it right there. Sam is why we do this. People like that. So, um, that's, that's where it all began in 2001 filming tiny resolution sharing it on icq and msn messenger and trying to host the videos on geocities because youtube didn't exist yet um to today where you know 1500 subscribers 600,000 views on youtube i believe we got our podcast instagram blog tons of stuff um and a lot of exciting things to come that are in the works so it's been an amazing journey so far but folks we're just getting started and we're glad to have you along on the journey this isn't totally about travel. I apologize. It's a little off topic. But um, I want to talk about common sense for a moment. It came up in the comments of one of our videos recently where I think Mike had said exercise some common sense. And I just wanted to expand on this a little bit because I worry about that phrase common sense. I think it might be often, maybe not intentionally, but it's it can be come off, it can come across as very condescending. Because you know, oh, it's common sense. It sounds like you should have known this. And if you don't know this, it's because there's something missing in you. You're flawed in some way. And that's really harsh. I, I don't like the idea of expressing myself that way. If I've come across that way, I want to apologize because that's not what we're about at all. We're about learning and sharing fun and stuff like that. We're not about making you feel small um, or stupid, just to call it out. That's not what we're here about at all. If we do that, I apologize. Let me know. Call it out. Because um, I worry that the phrase common sense is super condescending. And I don't think it's accurate. Common sense would be like you don't know the alphabet, but you finished elementary school. Right? It's something that you should know because you have or should have been exposed to the idea. Um, but people say com uh, common sense, they apply it to so many things that that's just not the case. Like, oh, it's common sense to, um, you know, not have your wallet in your back pocket. No, it's not. People always have their wallets in their back pocket. At least men often. That's, that's common. You know, and, and pickpocketing. Like if you haven't heard or read about it or done research, if you haven't traveled and stuff like that, then maybe you haven't been exposed to that idea. It doesn't make you stupid. It just means you haven't been exposed to the idea. 
and this and the thing is is like the things we call common sense once you're exposed to the idea it makes sense oh of course yeah i get it i just hadn't thought about it that way i hadn't thought about i hadn't thought about pickpockets you know uh, it doesn't make you stupid it absolutely doesn't and that's not what we're about here making people feel that way so you know it's that old thing it's like there's no such thing as a stupid question um there is the only kind of stupid question is one you already know the answer to and we've all done that. I ask, you know, like, oh, hey. And I'm like, oh, wait, you know what? I think I knew that. I, I had just forgotten for a moment. Sorry, stupid question. That's all fair. But that's it. And, like, we're not going to know if you already knew. So we certainly won't judge you. None of your questions are going to seem stupid to us. Like, this is a safe place to ask questions. I want to make this a safe place to ask questions and get questions answered. We make videos uh, about some of the more basic aspects of everything. Road trips, cruising, whatever. Uh, you know, talking about how does your room key work on a cruise ship if you've been on more than one cruise that's going to seem probably like you know common sense but if you've never been on a cruise it's not they haven't been exposed to it they don't know what it's about so we have the carnival basics series of tip videos on our channel uh and other travel tip videos you know recently released one about you know yeah, uh, take a picture of your passport so you have your passport number on your phone at all times to help you book travel last minute. Little things like that. You know, uh, once you hear it, you're like, that makes perfect sense. I should do that all the time. But because you didn't think of it yourself or it wasn't exposed to the idea, that's no flaw of yours. You haven't done anything wrong there. Um, and so I don't think it's accurate, you know. And so there's a lot of things people say like, oh, it's common sense, but it's just so dismissive that I, I don't want to be dismissive. We want to be an inclusive, welcoming community or whatever this thing is. Uh, and so I just want to say that as sort of like part of a mission statement or whatever you want to call it, you know, um, you know, if someone has never traveled before, right, they might not think that they might not need to have local currency. But hey, not everyone knows what is the local currency for a particular country. So, you know, you might think that U.S. dollars are accepted in Canada and in some places they are. But having some Canadian money is probably a good idea. And so once you hear it, it's easy to understand. And so common sense, I think, should need, needs an, it's a need, common sense needs a rebrand, right? It's not that it's common sense. It's that it's an uncomplicated idea. It's an idea that isn't complex once you hear it. But you kind of maybe have to hear it first before we can start judging you about whether or not you're using the information, whether or not you're smart. So I want to, I want to, uh, I want to forget, I want to ban the word, the phrase common sense if I can. And I want to rebrand it as uncomplicated ideas. It's simple. You can just say that. It's simple. It's not complicated. But you might have to hear the idea first. So if we can if we can show you that. And so I apologize. If you're an advanced traveler and I'm covering a topic that seems super basic to you because you've been doing it for years, I appreciate your patience. Feel free to skip ahead. You know, go to the next video. Skip ahead in the timeline on the podcast. That's all fine. But there's going to be people out there who don't know these things. And so we want to we provide help to everyone from someone who's never traveled in their life to somebody who travels all the time. I think we've got a unique perspective that can help all those people and everyone in between to some degree. And so I appreciate if sometimes it doesn't feel like we're speaking to you. So we've got a Patreon question. So we do have a Patreon. Uh, so it's patreon.com slash vacation impossible. You can come and support the podcast, the YouTube channel, our various uh, efforts. Uh, there are different levels. There's a $1 tier and a $3 tier currently. We might tweak that. Uh, one of the things that those tiers include is a discount code for our t-shirt. So if you decide to get the t-shirt, uh, sign up for the Patreon and you'll actually end up saving money on the deal overall. So um, 
there, like your first month functionally is free because you get at least a dollar off on the t-shirt. So there you go. Uh, I post uh, behind the scenes pictures. Uh, I have blog posts, some at the $1 level, some at the $3 level, depending on how personal it is. Um, but uh, we do uh, have people submit questions on Patreon as well. So if you've got a question and you absolutely positively want to make sure that it makes the podcast or YouTube video, Patreon is a great way to get our attention in that regard. So uh, we have a question uh, and it's how can you support a specific video? This is coming from John at Stupid Robot Fighting League. Thank you for the support, by the way. He's one of the large supporters of the channel. His channel is amazing. I recommend you check it out. Uh, it's basically... Um, <laughs> the robots are not functional robots with programming. It's basically a bunch. Of, it's a bunch of junk attached to sticks, and they fight each other in a, a hanging from a cage. It's endlessly entertaining. I highly recommend it. Uh, and so he has. Uh, he suggested that we do a mukbang video, which, if you don't know, is a social eating video where you record yourself having a meal. Uh, and so we did that at uh, a restaurant called White Spot in Vancouver. There's a chain in that part of Canada. And so we did a review. And then uh, after the review portion, we shifted to sort of the mukbang thing for people who enjoy that. Uh, and so he's asking, what kind of things can, can people do to support a specific video uh, to see it do well, but also potentially to get more content? If we see that, you know, the How to Dress for Alaska video is getting tons of views, and so we're helping people with that, and we want to be helpful, uh, I've got a video that's going to be coming out in the future about how to dress for your various conventions, because we're thinking that might be helpful for people. So how do you support a specific video? Uh, social media is a fantastic place to do that. So you can tweet about it. You can share it on your Facebook page. You can, um, you can post something about it to Instagram. I mean, we're on all sorts of different things. So you can also find us, uh, you know, facebook.com slash vacation impossible. You can find us there. You'll find some content. You can just share those posts directly to your, to your own, uh, do they still call it a wall? I don't think they do. <laughs> I forget what they call it now on Facebook. Uh, you know, if you go to our tweets, you can uh, click like or retweet, or, you know, if you're watching one of our videos, there's normally a share button that will give you a bunch of social media options where you can share our content on Reddit, Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, you name it. Um, you know, Pinterest, we're, we're on all of those platforms. And so uh, sharing anything that you like or that you find helpful that you might think might help other people, that's a great way of doing it. Uh, you can also tag people. So for example, you can comment your friend's name on a Facebook post so that they'll get a notification and it'll take them to the post and they'll see it. So maybe it's a video about how to save money, um, you know, taking a shuttle from, or how do you get from LAX to, to the cruise as cheaply as possible. We got a video about that. That might help your friend save some money if they got a cruise out of Long Beach. So you might want to go and share that. That would be a great way to help uh, support us. So uh, clicking like on things, uh, particularly on YouTube. I want to talk for a second about how to support us with a YouTube video on YouTube. Uh, when you click the like on YouTube, it's not just telling us that you like us, although thank you for that if you are, but what it's really doing if you understand the way that YouTube works, is it's uh, showing people that like this this video was was what you wanted, and so when people search the terms that you search or that the video is about, our video is more likely to appear if you clicked like. So it's not an ego exercise. By clicking like, um, it's helping our video be uh, seen by more people. Is really what that is. Uh, and also, I mean, it is an indication for us, like, oh, you know, this got a lot of likes. Maybe we should make more of that kind of content. You know, also a dislike. Maybe you don't like that kind of video. We did a video where we talked about Ghostbusters for some reason. Uh, and that's kind of off brand for us. I'm thinking of taking that video down. You know, if you see something you don't like, a thumbs down is totally fine. It's giving us information about what you want to see. Uh, and so being that kind of an interactive audience is actually incredibly helpful. It's like free market research. So thank you. Um, as well, comments. 
on our videos help in that regard as well. One of the things about YouTube is that it's always trying to figure out what a video is about. So if somebody goes to a video, watches it for two seconds and closes it down, then maybe it wasn't an accurate title, for example. You know, uh, you're expecting something about the VIFP program and you went and you saw, I don't know, social eating and it wasn't what you expected. Uh, so when you watch a video to the end, that helps. And when you comment on a video, that helps a lot too. And if when you comment, you're talking about the video, using some of the words that are in the title and the description, um, then that increases YouTube's confidence. This video is definitely about white spot. People search white spot. I will definitely show this video to people. And so that's an amazing way to help us. And we really appreciate it for, for any of those sorts of things that you do. Um, you know, in, in supporting the channel, you can go to Patreon. You can become a patron. Uh, there's the $1 a month, the $3 a month level. Uh, they both, uh, get you access to um, obviously the $3 one gets you more uh, original content that you can't see anywhere else you'll get pictures that will never post to Instagram you will get blog posts that will never post to Tumblr you know things like that and you have the opportunity to engage with us as creators uh, and so that is sort of like creating a safe space as well um, because it's a you know it's behind a paywall so it's a little bit more uh, a little bit more personal a little bit more private uh, because we're not trying to grow our audience there maybe we'll talk a little bit more behind the scenes or things that are more personal we might wade a little away from the travel subject into other things uh, and so if you're curious about us as people or as content creators or whatever as well that can be a great way of doing it um, so so many different ways if you know we have a sub Reddit. Uh, believe it or not, there is a Vacation Impossible subreddit. Currently, we just use that to post some videos, but uh, some some upvotes there. Again, it helps other people discover the content. Uh, and so the more people that are discovering content, um, like we have, a, we have a video about how to, um, how to prepare for checking into your cruise at the cruise terminal. And it tells you how to be prepared, you know, have your passport, you know, the printed out boarding pass into the picture page and stuff like that. If everyone at the cruise terminal had watched that video and everyone knew what to do a little bit better and was a little bit more prepared, how much more efficient would that process be? Everyone would get on the ship a little sooner. The staff working there would have an easier day. These are the kinds of little things that we are trying to make a little bit better in the world. So if you are at all interested in helping us spread our message, giving us a review of this podcast on iTunes, for example, right now I think we have one review and it's one star. It did not include any actual feedback. So someone that didn't like us, that's fine. We're happy to accept that, feed, that, that feedback. But if you have actual constructive feedback, you know, it could be, hey, uh, two-star review, and it would be nice if the segments were longer or shorter or whatever you'd like. You know, maybe you, maybe you want more guests on the podcast. Maybe you wish it was only me all the time. I don't know. These sorts of things really help. So, um, you know, engaging with us on social media, uh, supporting us on Patreon, all these sorts of things, commenting and liking wherever you see our stuff, um, it makes it makes a huge difference and not always in the way that people expect. Uh, for example, subscribers on YouTube. You need a thousand subscribers to be able to do a live stream on your phone. So we have that, thankfully, which is great. And thank you all for the support. It means the world to us. But having more subscribers on YouTube is not an ego exercise and it doesn't make us any extra money or anything, but it does unlock additional features on the platform. At 10,000, we would be able to have a merch shelf where you could buy our t-shirts directly from the videos instead of having to go over to Teespring. At 30,000 subscribers, we could have memberships where we can do exclusive video content. Things like that. So that's, that's why that stuff is there. That's why that support means the world to us. But I think sometimes to a casual audience member, they don't fully understand what it means. Maybe they think, 
hey, they just want that dopamine hit of all the likes, you know, and that's not necessarily what it is. You like our picture on Instagram, then it's more likely to show up on the on the browse function for other people with similar interests. Those are that that's a big part of how that works. Um, also, you can submit podcast topics, whether you're Patreon or not. You know, you could try tweeting at us or emailing us. Uh, we might answer your question. You might have the next great question that, you know, it might be it might seem like it's just a question for you. But what if there is, and, and this has happened, 30 or 40,000 other people the same question. Dennis asked us about how to dress for Alaska. We made a video about how to dress for Alaska. Tens of thousands of people have seen that video and been helped by it. And that's amazing. These are people who are packing more efficiently. They're being prepared. They're not getting caught off guard. I think that's a great thing to be a part of. It's one of my core values. If you if you've listened this far in the video or the podcast, it's probably one of yours as well. Uh, so thank you so much for the support. But those are some of the the specific things that you can do that mean a lot. And hey, if you're watching this on YouTube, comment below and let me know what are some of the other ways that videos can be supported. Because there, there's there's so much social media, but there's other things too. You can tell your friends and family. Um, you know, you, you, hey, you buy the t-shirt, wear the t-shirt. <laughs> there's a lot of things you can do. How do you like to support? YouTube um, creators or, or you know if you're listening to the audio podcast drop us an email team at vacationimpossible.ca or hit us up on Twitter at vacayimpossible on Twitter and let us know how do you like to support creators so we had an unusual experience recently where someone <laughs> I don't I don't know if I want to mention their name because this person stole one of our videos this was uh, the majestic colonial Punta Cana I believe they stole the video, they stole the thumbnail, they didn't change it at all, and they uploaded it on their own channel. They did this at the beginning of May, and it was just a few weeks ago in July that uh, YouTube kind of caught it and brought it to my attention. And this stolen video accounted for a third of all of the views on their channel. And so when YouTube caught it, it gave me the option of doing a couple of different things. I could contact the creator. I could give them like a week to do something or I could just have them take it down right away and issue a strike. And I went with that because they were using our video to support their travel business, something called Travel Joy. I don't know exactly what that is, but I definitely want to make you aware that these people are stealing content to push their personal business and make a profit. And that's not cool. So if you do see something that appears to be a Vacation Impossible video uh, or picture or whatever, our content that's somewhere that is not Vacation Impossible, please let us know. Email team at vacationimpossible.ca. Reach out to us on Twitter, Facebook, however you like, whatever works best for you. We appreciate the support. But um, I think the person's name was Venetia Neely of Travel Joy. I don't like bringing attention to it. I, you know, I, I'm not trying to drive any traffic to that person. I don't want you to go out and hate on them. Uh, I just, I just want to kind of call it out that we are not affiliated with a travel agency. We are not selling you travel. You know, we've got a, we've got a T-shirt. We'll be happy to sell you. Uh, we've got a podcast and YouTube videos and a blog and a Patreon and all of that. So, you know, um, we're trying to provide you useful stuff. But we're not here to book the travel for you. We're not here to take a commission of your travel. I don't know what the future may hold with various partnerships with businesses, but we have nothing in the works right now along those lines. Um, and so I'm just concerned that people are trying to use our content stolen uh, to, to make a profit. And I want to make it clear what we do and do not endorse. And there is no travel agency that we currently endorse. Um, so I just want to make that clear. There's no travel agent that we endorse. Uh, so if you're seeing our stuff associated with things like that, 
you know, accept no substitutes. Uh, the, the, the YouTube channel is youtube.com slash vacation impossible. If it's not on that, then it's not authentic. So just wanted to vent about that. Someone reached out to me recently who was a 10-year employee of Carnival Cruises, and they had some inside information they wanted to share, which I thought was kind of cool, and I want to share it with you. I'm not revealing any names, but I'm going to tell you sort of the content of what they were talking about. And it's basically, um, what are the four biggest money makers for Carnival Cruises? And they surprised me. They might surprise you. Number four, number four, faster to the fun. Isn't that interesting? This came up as a result of our video about is faster to the fun worth it? Uh, and my conclusion was in most cases not. Cabo San Lucas was like the one place I said that it might be worth it. Um, but apparently this is their fourth largest profit driver, faster to the fun, which is kind of funny because, you know, people in Facebook groups and on Cruise Critic and other places are always talking about like, oh, when is faster to the fun going to be available? I'm trying to get more and it's super hard and all this stuff. Like, it, and so it's interesting that they've controlled and contracted the supply of it so much, but it's actually their fourth largest profit driver. Um, but I'm wondering about why that is. I can't, it can't be that so many people are using it. I think what it is, is it costs them virtually nothing. And I think that tells you about something about the value it gives you. If it costs them nothing to do it, is it really giving you a lot of value? I mean, things can. There are absolutely situations where that can happen. I don't know if this is one of those times. So, you know, uh, that's that's just kind of a follow-up on the Faster to the Fun video. But it's interesting. So remember, next time you're thinking about, should I get Faster to the Fun? Remember, it's the fourth largest profit driver for Carnival Cruises. Hey, I like them. I'm happy to support them, um, but uh, that's not how I'm going to be doing it. <laughs> uh, number three in the top four profit drivers for Carnival Cruises, number three is excursions. Okay, I'm fine with that. I think excursions are fantastic. I like the, um, you know, the Carnival Cruises, uh, uh, the, the additional security and comfort you have from knowing that the ship won't leave without you. Uh, they do have the price match guarantee, which is a little, I don't know, I've never really fully used before. You might be able to save some money by booking things locally, but you're taking a risk by doing it. And so I think that Carnival making some money off these excursions, um, that seems appropriate to me. I am fine to support them in that way. Uh, and so, but that's interesting. Number three, excursions. Number two on the top four sources of revenue for Carnival Cruises is alcohol sales. That makes sense. I mean, you think about a restaurant or a bar in a lot of places, the profit margins on alcohol, as I understand it, are pretty substantial. And given some of the difficulties that come along with selling alcohol, being licensed, uh, I mean, not so much on the cruise ships because I think it's only when they're not in port that they sell it. Um, but, or no, I think they do in port, but then there's tax on it. I'm not sure I don't drink a lot of alcohol. Yeah, no, I don't think it's dry when it's in port. So they must have some sort of permitting. Uh, so keeping that up to date is uh, important but also I mean you have to deal with drunk people as a result so you know the money you make in selling alcohol some of it's gonna have to go to things like additional security I imagine and additional safety features because people when their inhibitions are gone are gonna take risks and do things that they might not otherwise do and they might be easier to anger or depress or what have you and so you have to be prepared for that uh, you know that that indirect cost that might come along with it. Um, you know, people falling over and making a mess and whatever, possibly by imbibing too much. Um, so, but that's interesting to consider. So, for example, uh, each person, uh, each adult going onto a cruise is allowed a single bottle of wine, I believe, of 750 mils or less. And so, thinking that hey, alcohol is where they make a lot of their profit. If you want to save some money, bringing your own, again, one bottle per adult of wine 
or I think champagne's okay too, might be a good way to save some money for a cruise. Um, might cut into their profits a little bit, but they've got some great beverages on board, so I think they'll continue to do fine there. And the number one source of profit from a cruise, casino. Just like Las Vegas. And so I like going to Vegas. I haven't been to Vegas in a while, but I've been there six or seven times. And, um, you know, I try to be strategic and try to save some money. Uh, and the way I often think of it is if I'm saying, staying at the MGM or the Stratosphere or wherever I'm staying, the Monte Carlo, and I get a good room rate, I know that my room rate is functionally being subsidized by the gamblers. And I don't gamble practically at all. Now, that's not to say that we're against gambling. That's not to say that other people in Vacation Possible don't gamble. Mike has a bizarre amount of luck when it comes to gambling. He always seems to win something. Um, John, on the other hand, likes to play, but he also almost never wins. <laughs> um, but, you know, hey, as long as you think of it as purchasing time that you're having fun, right? So you go in with 50 bucks, and as long as, you know, the experience you have is worth losing that 50 bucks, then you're probably doing fine. As long as it's under control. Um, but anyways, it's interesting to consider that the casino, number one profit driver for the company, according to this 10-year Carnival Cruises employee. And so I think that this, how is this information useful? Are we just gossiping? <laughs> I think that it can be a little bit useful because um, if that's where they're making their profit and you want to save some money, then maybe these are some of the areas where you could sh should consider Holding back a little bit. So faster the fun. Do you really need it or you want to save that money for something else? An excursion. I think generally speaking, excursions are actually good value with one exception. If you're in uh, Mahogany Bay, there are some really great non-carnival excursions, totally trustworthy. Daniel Johnson Sloth and Monkey Hangout is absolutely one of them. So do your own research before considering booking something independently. But that's the one place where absolutely I would I would book independently there and save a little bit of money. And then the alcohol thing. Is Cheers worth it? Everybody asks this all the time. We get it all the time too. We might make a video or cover it on the podcast in the future. We've never done Cheers, so we have to sit down and do some math. You know, we can't talk experientially about it right now. And that's why I've been putting off covering that topic because I know it's a popular topic. We get tons of views and we might help a lot of people, but I'm not ready to cover it until I can cover it intelligently. We're not there yet. Um, but that having been said, if alcohol sales is such a huge profit, maybe, you know, bring as much of your own as you are allowed to might be a good way of saving some money. And then again, there's the casino. So, um, you know, are you, are you going to want to spend as much time in the casino knowing that you're the number one profit source for them? I don't know. Uh, as long as you go in with the attitude of, you know, everything I'm taking, I'm going to lose and I'm going to be okay with it because I'm going to get entertainment out of it that is worth that loss of money, then you're fine. Go ahead. Go right ahead with my full blessing. Good luck, win big. <laughs> but if you have to win to feel good, if you have to win for it to make sense for you, if you have to win for it to give value to you, maybe there's something else on the ship you should be doing. Check out the comedy club, something else. <laughs> uh, maybe move down. Maybe have a drink. <laughs> uh, you know, move down. Maybe instead of you know gambling and having the drink, book that excursion. Uh, out of the four things, excursion is the thing that I think is really worth it. Um, second would probably be alcohol. And honestly, for my money, yeah, I guess maybe casino could be a little bit of fun. Faster the fun is probably, you know, last. Because I don't personally see huge value in it. So that's that. 
Um, so we're creeping up on this being a fairly lengthy podcast, at least two hours. So thank you much for sticking with us. If you're still sticking with us, if you're hearing my voice, then you did. So thank you. Uh, I hope this was enjoyable. Please, as I've said many times, reach out to us in a variety of ways. You can email us, hit us up on social media. Please give this podcast a review and subscribe on your podcast platform of choice. And um, check us out on YouTube, youtube.com slash vacationimpossible. If you haven't subscribed, please do so. It helps us unlock additional functionality. Give our videos a little thumbs up so more people can see them and comment because we love to engage with you guys. We've learned so much from the comments on YouTube videos. It's amazing. Um, and we've also, frankly, helped clear up some misunderstandings that way as well. People thought things worked a particular way and they didn't. So, um, yeah, thank you so much. This has been a blast. We will probably be recording the next podcast uh, at least in October for Portland Retro Gaming Expo. So it might be a little while before a new one. But you never know. Travel opportunities crop up all over the place. So thank you so much for listening. And we will see you next time. <laughs>